or is it just a short period of time for God? The clock of the cosmos started to tick at the precise moment of the Big Bang. That was 13.82 billion years ago for us. But for Allah, it's just been six months. So we're talking about space and time and the size of Allah. He is God after all. And surely that does something to time. And discover the secrets of the cosmos. Time as we know it is relative. We know this after Albert Einstein revealed his theory of special and general The Earth's canopy protects us from the sun, the deadly radiation from the sun. Let's take a look at the cosmic week. When we take a look, so if he created the heavens in six days and the Earth in two days, with this ratio, that would make the Earth's age a third of the universe, wouldn't it? The universe is 13.82 billion years old and the Earth 4.6 billion years. That makes the Earth exactly one third of the age of the universe. Subhanallah. La ilaha illallah. The universe is 13.8 billion years old. 13.8 billion years is just six days in Allah's throne time. One day in Allah's throne time is equivalent to 2.3 billion years on Earth. One hour that passes at Allah's throne is 9.6 million years on Earth. One minute of Allah's throne time is equivalent to about 160,000 years on Earth. So just one second that passes at Allah's throne. About 2,700 years would have passed by on Earth. One second is 2,700 years. So what about the throne? He is time.
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. God, there is no God but He, living and everlasting. Neither slumber overtakes Him nor sleep. To Him belongs what is in the heavens and what is on earth. Who shall intercede with Him except by His leave? He knows their present affairs and their past, and they do not grasp of His knowledge except what He wills. His throne encompasses the heavens and the earth. Preserving them is no burden to him. He is the exalted and majestic. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of the worlds, Lord of the mighty throne. He is the all-powerful, tremendous, the irresistible. The heavens and the earth and everything in between call to him alone and he hears all. Let's take an extraordinary journey together through space and time and discover the secrets of the cosmos. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world in six days. How it is all possible that the vast universe, or should I say multiverse, were all created in this short period of time. Or is it just a short period of time for God? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, it is God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between in six days, then sat firmly on the throne. Muslims believe that when God says the word days in the Quran, he means periods, because the Arabic word for days, which is yaum, can be translated into the word periods as well as the word days. The Christian theory is actual days, earth days, which is not scientifically logical because we know that it took much longer than that for the universe to form. The scripture was different when the Bible was first given to man. We know that it has now been altered multiple times. The current Bible also says that the sun was created after the earth. How can the earth exist before the sun? Light and heat from the sun would have had to exist before the earth, or else how would anything grow? How would anything survive? Every living creature on the earth needs sunlight. The plants, the animals, we need the sun. Even the very circulation of our water cycle cannot take place without the sun. We would freeze. There would be no rain, no rivers, no oceans. And without water consumption, well, life would not exist. The universe could have been created in six periods as it says in the Quran. But the word Yaum does also mean days. So what if the universe was created in six days after all? Just not in the kind of days that we think. Days or periods, both are possible. But we will come to that in a moment. Let's first start at the beginning, right at the very beginning. 13.8 billion years ago. The Big Bang.
In the Quran, Allah says, Do the unbelievers not realize that the heavens and the earth were sewn together, but we ripped them apart? This is in chapter 21, verse 30 of the Quran. This is just one translation of the original unchanged Arabic text of what it says in the Quran about the Big Bang. Another English translation is, Do not the unbelievers see that the heavens and the earth were joined together before we clothed them asunder? There are a few other translations, of course the Arabic wording is still exact and the translations of the Arabic are all saying the same thing, that the heavens and the earth were all joined together and God parted them. They are all correct, they all mean the same thing, that there was indeed a big bang. But the translation, do the unbelievers not realize that the heavens and the earth were sewn together but we ripped them apart, is particularly interesting. Because scientists, when they speak about space, they talk about space as, it's not empty. Space is not empty, it's full of things, it's full of stuff. In fact, we do not know what it is full of. We just call it dark matter and dark energy. We only know about 4% of the universe, you know. We know nothing. We think we're so smart and so powerful, we're nothing. We are so tiny, we can't even comprehend how tiny we are. We only know 4%. There's 96% out there, we have no idea what it is, but there is something there. Scientists, they describe space like, like it's a fabric, the fabric of space. And it's so fascinating that the Creator himself describes this in one of his magnificent books, The Glorious Quran, 1400 years ago. How he describes the heavens as if it is a fabric, that the heavens and the earth were sewn together and he ripped them apart. Now considering God is almighty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his size is beyond what we can imagine. To him it's not a big bang, to us it's a big bang. To him, he just ripped it apart like it's a piece of fabric. And of course when Allah refers to heavens, he's not talking about paradise. Paradise is different. Paradise is Jannah. When he says heaven, he subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the universe. In this case, it's plural, heavens, as in universes. There are more than the one that we know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It is he who created for you all that is on earth. Then he ascended to the heaven and arrayed them in seven heavens. All knowing is he. This is in the Quran, chapter 2, verse 29. He says he it is who created the heavens and the earth in six days and his throne was upon the waters so as to test you who among you is the best in works. So we're talking about space and time and the size of Allah. And surely the size of Allah we can imagine that he is the largest and the biggest, most tremendous being. He is God after all. And surely that does something to time. For him time is different, space is different. He created time, he created space. He is time. The universes, the heavens and the earth were created in six periods according to us, but according to him, the Lord, the Lord of the throne, the majestic Lord of the mighty throne. Is it not just days for Allah? 
Time as we know it is relative. We know this after Albert Einstein revealed his theory of special and general relativity about a hundred years ago. Time passes slower in some places than others. The faster someone moves in relation to a slower or stationary being, the slower the time passes for the faster being. For example, take two starships. One is moving closer to the speed of light and the other one is moving slower. For the pilot inside the starship which is travelling fast, time would be going very slowly compared to the pilot inside the slower starship. For him, time would be going very fast. But both pilots would not feel the difference. Time would feel normal. This happens because the speed of light needs to remain constant for everyone. So if we see the maximum speed of light change due to a change in the distance it travels, something else needs to change in order to keep the speed of light constant. And that something else is time. Special relativity is when speed and direction are constant. But Einstein realized that life doesn't work like that. Things accelerate. They change speeds. Things speed up and slow down. Einstein realized that the theory needed to include gravity. How can he have a theory of everything without gravity, he thought. That is where general relativity comes in. That is where gravity comes in. The bigger the mass of an object which results in more gravity, for example a large planet, the slower the time will pass there, relative to a smaller planet where the gravity is weaker. This is known as time dilation, where time differs from subject to subject. This is because space and time are combined. Einstein called it space-time. The gravity of the massive object bends the space around it, therefore affecting the time also. Even on our own planet we experience this, to an extremely small degree of course, but it's still there. At the Great Pyramid of Giza, Time travels slightly slower because of its weight. The pyramid is 230 meters long and 140 meters high, weighing over 40 million tons. Time would slow down by a trillion million million millionth of a second, but still it would slow down compared to the rest of the Earth. There have been many experiments to prove that time is relative. We put clocks on planes going at different speeds and different directions, and when they all came back, the clocks were all slightly different from the original time. The satellites that are above the Earth's atmosphere, currently orbiting the Earth, also have clocks inside them. All are accurate to the millisecond. Time goes slightly faster at the Earth's atmosphere than it does down on Earth, because of its gravity. The gravity affects the time. The heaviest object in our galaxy is a black hole. It's so heavy that it has collapsed into its own gravity. Even light cannot escape it. A black hole slows down time more than anything else we know. Or is there something else out there that slows down time even more? We humans are pretty small in comparison to what is out there in the universe, and we are pretty slow as well. We are situated in the lowest heaven, and Allah, the Lord of the worlds, He is the Lord of seven heavens and beyond. Paradise is above the seven heavens, so that is another universe on its own. Paradise, Jannah. So it begs a question, because we are so slow, 
and so small. How fast is time going here on our tiny planet? There are also seven hells below us. How many universes there are, only Allah knows. But just look at how small we are. Just imagine, there are seven heavens and seven hells. There is paradise and all its different levels within. And we are in the lowest heaven, in the midst of the vast universes. And we are one of the smaller planets within our solar system, let alone the universe. And our sun is one of the smallest stars. Our sun is so small compared to the other suns, it's frightening. So again, just how fast is time flying by compared to the rest of the universe? Prophet Muhammad said that each heaven is bigger than the one below it and it's so big it's like a small ring compared to a huge desert. The first heaven that we are in is so tiny it's smaller than a speck compared to the seventh heaven. If you were in the seventh heaven you wouldn't even be able to see us, you wouldn't even know we exist. We're so tiny, we're so small, we're a dot, not even that. When we look up at the sky, at all the beautiful stars above, they are all part of the first heaven. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, that he adorned the first heaven with lanterns. Why only the first heaven and not all the rest? How did the people travel through the earth and find their way when there was no GPS? They looked up and recorded the pathways with the help of the stars. They are like signposts, Allah says in the Quran. With the star, they shall be guided. He says that he made the sky as a well-protected canopy. The earth's canopy protects us from the sun, the deadly radiation from the sun. The earth would heat up to such a degree without this canopy that we would not be able to survive due to the heat and radiation. It took millions of years for the ozone layer to form. What else out there is protecting us? How many times have all the planets around us in the solar system saved our lives, attracting all the meteors towards them? Our very moon has saved us countless times. You see, the craters on the surface of the moon, they are the sites of impact. The planet Jupiter is so big its gravity attracts many of the asteroids that are on collision course to Earth. Allah also created the heavens and the Earth so that we may know how small we are in comparison. He says, The creation of the heavens and the Earth is far greater than the creation of humanity, but most humans are ignorant. All of this is part of the first heaven, and we are in it. There are so many galaxies out there in this universe that we can't even count. The quantity is beyond what we can ever know. Remember, we only know 4%. So taking into consideration that the seventh heaven is much, much, much larger than the one we're in now, and there are much larger creations than the seventh heaven, for example, paradise, Jannah, Jannah, which is beyond the Lot Tree, the Lot Tree known as Sidrat al-Muntaha, that marks the utmost boundary of the seventh heaven, beyond which no creation can pass. And what is beyond the Lot Tree? 
paradise. And who is beyond the tree? Allah. Each universe is bigger than the one below it. And our Prophet Muhammad said that it takes 500 years to travel from one universe to the next. So if it takes 500 Earth years to get to the next universe, this could be suggesting that the universes are superimposed because 500 years is very, very fast considering it takes about 2.5 million light years to travel to our neighboring galaxy, the Andromeda. Allah knows best. We do not know if the universes are superimposed or not. There may be other ways to travel to the distant universes that shorten space and time, for example, through wormholes. Wormholes are not a natural phenomena. They are put there. They don't form over time like stars and planets they are placed. Allah is the owner of wormholes, portals, doorways for the heavens and the earth. We know this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions wormholes in the Quran. In chapter 70, the chapter of ascensions, he says, as it comes from the God of ascensions, angels and the spirit ascend to him in a day that spans 50,000 years. When Allah is talking about ascensions, he is implying portals, ascensions as in wormholes, doorways through how angels ascend to him from the earth and descend back down to the earth. A wormhole bends space and time, so if we were to take it to travel to the next universe, it would be a shortcut. It would be much quicker to travel within a wormhole than without. In this case, the angels and the spirit Jibreel ascend to Allah in a day using this wormhole and without the wormhole it would take 50,000 years for the angels. 50,000 years! There are other signs in the Quran that time is relative. For example, Allah says in chapter 32 that he governs creation from the heavens to the earth and it ascends back to him in one day, the length of which is a thousand years by your reckoning. Allah is referring to the angel Jibreel It only takes one earth day for Jibreel to descend to the earth, a journey that if we were to embark upon, it would take a thousand earth years for us. That is how fast Jibreel is. And how is Jibreel that fast? How can he be that fast? What is he made of? Light. And what is the fastest thing ever recorded? Light. Light is the fastest thing ever recorded at 299,792,458 meters per second. Angels are made of light, so they move at the speed of light. And what light? What type of light? There are different types of light, some faster than others. White light, which is the light we see that is visible to our eyes, like the light from the sun, has all the colours of the rainbow. Different colours of light have different frequencies and this results in them travelling at different speeds. When light bends through glass, for example, some colours move faster than others. Light doesn't just travel in straight lines. 
gravity can bend light as Einstein proved in his theory of general relativity that took him 15 years to prove. We do not know what type of light the angels are made of. Maybe they have a light we haven't discovered yet. But what is apparent is that they are fast. Jibreel is the chief of the angels. So would that not imply that his speed exceeds most angels or even all of them? Angels have responsibilities. The bigger the task, the stronger and faster the angel. There are four archangels. Jibreel was tasked with bringing down the revelations from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to guide the prophets, all of the prophets, all 124,000 of them, may peace be upon them. 315 of them were messengers and 25 of those messengers are mentioned by name in the Quran, including Jesus, peace be upon him, and Moses, Adam, Abraham, Joseph and Noah, may peace be upon them all. And of course, Muhammad Then we have Mikhail the angel in charge of the weather, the wind, the rain, the snow, the hurricanes and the tornadoes, the storms and the sunny weather, summer, autumn, winter and spring. And then we have Israfil the angel who is responsible for protecting the tablets where everything that has ever or will ever take place has been written. In addition, he is also tasked with another enormous task. The end of the world. He is the angel with the trumpet. The trumpet that when it is blown, the heavens and the earth will be devastated. The trumpet that will be blown on the last day. The day the world ends. And then we have the angel of death. His name is unknown. The speed of these angels need to be extremely fast to do what they do. The angel of death, for example. How many people die in a day? 151,600 people die each and every day. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of deaths to deal with. That's a lot of souls to extract. And the angel of death does this without a hiccup. He never fails to collect. He must be very, very, very fast to do that. And if he moves at the speed of light, theoretically, time for the angel of death would stand still. So collecting these souls would be no problem for him. Jibreel was tasked with the most noble of all responsibilities, the revelations. And as the first ever creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a soul, this task is befitting for Jibreel's high status. Allah loves him so much he gave Jibreel this role and he is all deserving of it. Our Prophet Muhammad described Jibreel in his true form. Jibril appeared having 600 wings. His wings were so big that they covered the whole horizon. Why does he have such big wings and so many? It's obvious, isn't it? His speed. He needs to be fast for the things that he needs to do. And his strength. He needs to be big and strong to protect the revelations and the prophets of Allah, peace be upon them all. And with more size and speed results in slower time.
When Prophet Yusuf was thrown into the well by his brothers, Jibreel was the one to catch him. Jibreel caught him so he didn't hurt himself or even worse, die. How fast did Jibreel have to be to catch Yusuf at the right place and at the right time? There are other angels with humongous tasks. There are the four angels carrying the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on the day of judgment, there will be eight angels bearing the weight of the throne. Each of these angels are so big in size that a bird will take 700 years to fly from the earlobe to the angel's shoulder. Their heads are above the highest heaven and their feet are on the lowest earth. These are the angels carrying the throne. So what about the throne? How big must it be for it to be carried by such massive creations of Allah? And what about the Lord of the worlds himself? It is said that Allah has a light. What light? A fitting description is that he has the fastest light. Prophet Muhammad describes this when he had a meeting with Allah one night. The night began when the Prophet made his journey to the sacred mosque in Jerusalem and then ascended to the heavens known as Al-Isra wal Miraj, the night journey. This was one of the best blessings Allah had bestowed upon Muhammad after a year of torment and sorrow. We are unsure if the Prophet made this journey in soul form or in human form. Only Allah knows how exactly, but we do know what happened that night. On that night, the Prophet was accompanied by Jibreel and a being which was similar to a horse known as Al-Buraq. On this Buraq, the Prophet travelled from Mecca to Jerusalem within a few seconds when it would usually take a month. How? Well, what is the Burak made of? Light, of course. Each stride was as far as its eyes could see, described our Prophet The Prophet visited Masjid Al-Aqsa and tied the Burak to the gate and ascended to the seven heavens with Jibreel Only Jibreel has the honor of carrying a Prophet to the heavens. The Prophet on the ascension met with the previous Prophets, peace be upon them, including Adam, Isa, Yusuf, Idris, Musa, and Ibrahim, peace be upon them, along the way in each heaven. Muhammad had a meeting with Allah that night. The angel Jibreel and the Prophet came to the edge of the seventh heaven at the low tree, the utmost boundary of the seventh heaven, beyond where paradise lies, below the throne of Allah. The Prophet was given something that no other prophet or being had ever gotten before, a meeting with Allah beyond the low tree. Even Jibreel was not allowed to go beyond it. The Prophet conversed with Allah that night about the prayers. The Prophet did not see Allah in his true form. He saw a very bright light, Allah's hijab, a barrier made of light, his hijab of light. Allah prescribed 50 prayers a day, earth days for us. The Prophet as he was descending back down, met with Musa again. And Musa advised the Prophet to go back and reduce the number 
as mankind would not be able to handle 50 prayers a day. So Muhammad went back and forth several times until the number was reduced to five prayers a day, an earth day. The night journey did not end there. The Prophet also visited the seven hells that are beneath the earth. Each may be a universe of its own. Time in hell also moves much slower than that on earth. A day in paradise and a day in hell is a thousand earth years. Taking into consideration that time is relative, Muhammad ascending further and further away from earth into heaven to larger masses would mean time would be moving slower and slower for him the further he went. But when they returned back to Mecca, only several hours had passed when thousands of years should have passed down on earth. Time did move forward, but only by hours. On the Prophet's return, he had travelled into the future by several hours. Exactly how? Only Allah knows. On that night, why did the Prophet not see Allah in his true form? Why did he just see Allah's hijab? Why did Allah not show himself? If Allah's hijab is made of beautiful light, then what about Allah himself, the Lord of the worlds? There was a day when Prophet Musa, Moses peace be upon him, asked Allah to see him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replied that if the mountain can withstand him, then Musa salam can see him. Allah revealed a part of himself to the mountain and Musa witnessed the mountain crumble into pieces. Musa fainted on the spot. This is the Lord of the worlds. His size is unmatched. The power of his light we cannot perceive. How long can we, with our naked eyes, stare at our own sun without getting blind? Maybe less than 10 minutes? If our sun, our little tiny sun in our little tiny solar system, can do that to our eyes, what about Allah? What would happen to us if he were to reveal himself? Out of his mercy, he does not, because we would surely die. So Allah stays away from us, far enough with a barrier so we can be safe, so that we may live, because our earthly bodies cannot handle him. He subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most high, which implies he is above us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sat on his glorious throne, the king of all kings. His throne is the largest creation ever created. The throne of Allah is immense. We can only imagine it through how the Prophet Muhammad described it. It is like the vast desert compared to a small ring. The small ring are the seven heavens, which includes everything that is in existence including all the black holes and all the massive stars and galaxies, all the universes. Each time a universe compared to the next is like a small ring in the midst of a vast desert. And then there is also the kursi of Allah, the chair of Allah. And the desert is the arsh of Allah, the throne of Allah. So imagine the size of the throne, the mass of the throne, the gravity of the throne, the way it must curb the space and time around it, the way it bends the very fabric of space. So how slow is time going at the throne where the Lord of the worlds has chosen to be? 
Of course, Allah is not bound by the throne. No, not at all. He has chosen the throne. He does as he pleases. Subhanallah. Allah is bigger than his throne. He can do all things. He's all powerful. So this indicates that he can change sizes as he wishes, speed up time, slow down time as he wishes for himself, move at whatever speed he wills. He is infinite in all things. Does he subhanahu wa ta'ala even have a top speed or a limit on how big he can be? No, he is all powerful. He can see the past, present and future. How is this possible? The angels can move at the maximum speed of light and scientists claim that at the maximum speed of light, time would stand still. Then what if one could move faster than the speed of light? Theoretically, if one could move faster than the speed of light, one could go back in time. Allah has a light. It is the fastest light. His light is unknown. His speed is unknown. He can see the past, present and future of everything. Allah moves faster than the known speed of light. So he can go back in time and move into the future as he wills, when he wills. His light is different. It is the most pure form of light. So a day for him must be slower than everything else in existence. Allah can do as he pleases. He subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world in six days, but he could have created it in less than a second or in no time at all. Allah says in chapter three of the Quran, thus is God, he creates whatever he pleases. When he decrees a matter, he merely says it to be, and it is. He created the world in six days because not only is he all powerful, he is all wise. And with his wisdom, he wanted us to measure the origin of the universe and the origin of the earth. Allah says in chapter 41 of the Quran that he created the earth in two days. These two days are within the six days of creation. So if he created the heavens in six days and the earth in two days, with this ratio, that would make the Earth's age a third of the universe, wouldn't it? The universe is 13.82 billion years old. And the Earth? 4.6 billion years. That makes the Earth exactly one third of the age of the universe. Subhanallah. La ilaha illallah. And how did we measure the age of the universe? The universe is still expanding, Allah says in the Quran. We constructed the sky with our hands and we will continue to expand it. Modern scientists discovered the expansion of the universe within the last hundred years. It was in fact a crucial discovery. Edwin Hubble realized that the universe is expanding as he was observing the heavens through the most powerful telescope on the planet, the Hubble telescope. The universe is expanding and accelerating. Therefore, it must have had a point where the expansion started, the Big Bang. Calculating the expansion rate from its birth point, scientists figured out that the universe is 13.82 billion years old, give or take a few million years. And how did we calculate the age of the Earth? Allah says in chapter 41 of the Quran that he created the Earth in two days. And he placed therein firm mountains from above it, and he blessed it and measured therein its sustenance, in four days equal, 
for all those who ask. Now these extra four days that Allah mentions in the Quran are within the two days of the earth's creation. These are the four smaller days, the days of the earth, the periods of the earth. But we will come back to that in a moment. Scientists discovered the age of the earth by studying the age of rocks. The oldest rocks found on earth are about 3 to 3.5 billion years old. But there was another way to determine a more accurate age of the earth. Calculating the age of meteors that hit the earth. Meteors are a reliable source as our solar system was created at the same moment in time from the same smoke form or nebula, solar nebula. So however old the meteor is, then so is the earth. The meteor was 4.5 to 4.6 billion years old. We also discovered that rocks from the moon are about 4.6 billion years old, again proving the earth's age as the moon was formed when the earth was. The Quran mentions four days in accordance with the mountains. So there are four smaller days of the earth as mentioned earlier. Four smaller periods within the two major days of the Earth's creation. Did you know that there are four major eons of Earth? The four major periods of the Earth. This is what Allah is indicating in his verse. How to find out the age of the Earth, the sustenance of the Earth, by studying the mountains. Mountains have several layers and within them we will see the four eons of Earth. All of geological time up until today has been divided into four eons, or four periods, or in this case, four days of the Earth. The Hadean, the Archean, the Proterozoic and the Phanerozoic, the one we are currently in now. Each eon has smaller periods within it, and they are the smaller eras. Now the smaller eras within the Phanerozoic, the one we are currently in now, are the Paleozoic, the Mesozoic era, which was the age of the dinosaurs, and the one we are currently in now, the Cenozoic era. We would not know a thing if Allah created the world in a second, but creating the universe in six periods for us, and six throne days for Him, we are able to make calculations through the expansion and the acceleration of the universe from the Big Bang. And the two periods of Earth for us, and two throne days for Him, we can calculate including a further four smaller periods within the earth itself, within the two throne days. By measuring the age of the mountains, we can calculate the sustenance of the earth. Let's take a look at the cosmic week. When we take a look, taking into consideration that the universe is 13.82 billion years old, which is six days for Allah, that would mean each day where Allah is, that is at his throne, would be equivalent to 2.3 billion Earth years. Scientists say that human civilization is 200,000 years old. In the cosmic week, in comparison to the age of the universe, this is nothing. What is 200,000 years compared to 13.8 billion years? The real question is, what is this in God's throne time? How long have we actually been here? Currently, there are 24 hours in one Earth day. We know this by the rotation of the Earth in its own axis. This is how we calculate time. This is one of the core reasons why Allah created the sun and the moon and for the Earth to rotate so that we may know the time of day. 
In chapter 10 of the Quran, Allah says, He it is who made the sun a shining splendor and the moon a radiance, reckoning its phases, so that you may know the number of years and how to calculate. Currently, it takes 23 hours and 56 minutes for the earth to complete one rotation. So Allah blessed us with almost 24 hours in a day, in an earth day. I say currently because the earth used to rotate much faster than it does today. There was a time when it only took 6 hours for the earth to complete one rotation. But that was way before life existed on earth. Since life came into play, the rotation of the earth slowed down to 24 hours a day. Of course, only Allah knows how many hours in a throne day, but let's assume that there are 24 hours in a throne day, because this is our best logic. The universe is 13.8 billion years old. 13.8 billion years is just six days in Allah's throne time. One day in Allah's throne time is equivalent to 2.3 billion years on Earth. One hour that passes at Allah's throne is 9.6 million years on Earth. One minute of Allah's throne time is equivalent to about 160,000 years on Earth. So just one second that passes at Allah's throne. About 2,700 years would have passed by on Earth. One second is 2,700 years. thousand years have gone by on earth with us humans inhabiting the planet ever since the first man, Adam Since then only about one minute and 15 seconds have gone by at Allah's throne due to its enormous mass. Humans have only been around for 0.004% of earth's history. So what about me and you? The average life expectancy of a human nowadays is about 71 years. That's less than one second at Allah's throne. Less than a second. To be more exact, the length of one average human life is a bit less than 27 milliseconds. The saying life is short is an understatement. Our whole life on earth is 70 years for us. But for Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the all-powerful, it's nothing for him. And most of us don't even live that long. Everything that ever took place on earth, the creatures of the earth, like the dinosaurs, for example, they were just alive for minutes. It's just been minutes for Allah. For us, dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. For Allah, it's just been about seven hours, so God created the world in six days, but Allah will sometimes add to this in more detail within the six days, as he did with the four smaller periods of the earth. So when he says in chapter 41 of the Quran that he created the earth in two days, he also added more detail about the heavens. He says, Then he ascended to heaven while yet smoke, and said to it and to the earth, Come forth willing or unwilling, and both responded, we come willingly. 
Then he ordained seven heavens in two days and inspired each heaven with its disposition. And we adorned the lowest heaven with lanterns and for protection. Such was the devising of the Almighty, all-knowing. When Allah says, while yet smoke, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking about the beginning of the universe, where there was still smoke after the Big Bang. Scientists claim that after the Big Bang, due to the heat of the explosion, there was smoke or nebula. And the creation of our solar system was in fact from a solar nebula. This is not an additional two days that he ordained the heavens. This is within the six days of creation. Creation in six days is apparent because Allah mentions it in the Quran over and over again that he created the heavens and the earth in six days. It is God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between in six days and sat firmly on the throne. Chapter 32 Your Lord God is he who created the heavens and the earth in six days and settled firmly on the throne. Chapter 7 Your Lord is God who created the heavens and the earth in six days and settled firmly on the throne to order the world's affairs. Chapter 10 he it is who created the heavens and the earth in six days, and his throne was upon the waters, so as to test you, who among you is the best in works. Chapter 11. It is he who created the heavens and the earth and what is in between in six days, then sat firmly on the throne. All merciful is he, ask about him, one who knows. Chapter 25. And there are more verses about the six days of creation. Nowhere in the Quran does it say any other number but six. Allah is very clear on this. But where is the seventh day? In the Bible it says that God created the world in six days, then rested on the seventh. But God confirms in the Quran that he does not need rest. God says in chapter 50 of the Quran, We created the heavens and the earth and what lies between in six days, and no weariness touched us. So why no mention of the seventh day in the Quran? Here's a question. Maybe the seventh day is not upon us yet. If there are 13.8 billion years in six days, and the earth is 4.6 billion years old at the present moment in time, then what day is it? Today. If the earth is currently 4.6 billion years old, which is the last two days and the six days of creation? Are we not still on the sixth day? Are we not still on the sixth day? According to the cosmic week in our present moment in time, we are still on the sixth day, but very, very, very close to the seventh. Allah mentions in the Quran about the last day. What is the last day? The day of reckoning, the day of judgment, the day the world will end. What if the day of judgment commences on the seventh day? The last day, the last day of the week. He subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the hour. When does the hour commence? No one knows except he. It will come upon us suddenly. But we know that it will be on a Friday. Our Prophet Muhammad said so. And what time? When the last hour is up? At the end of the sixth day? Midnight. 
Knowledge of the hour rests with Allah. We can never know, even with all our calculations, the day is still in its billions. And no one is billions of years old to tell us when the sixth day will end, or how to calculate an exact cycle of a day. We do not know when midnight strikes. But what we do know is that it is near. Allah says in chapter 16, To God belongs the unseen of the heavens and the earth. The hour in reality is like the blink of an eye, or even closer. How close the hour may be to us, only Allah knows. But what does Allah mean when he says days, the last day, and the hour? What if all these days are his throne days, and the hour is his throne hour? Allah refers to the day of our resurrection as the day of judgment. The day of judgment is 50,000 years for us, but a day for him. He clearly states in the Quran that the earth will be different and our bodies will be different too. Bigger, much bigger. The day of judgment would not be equivalent to 2.3 billion earth years any longer because the earth would be larger. Every single soul that has ever lived will be there. Billions and billions and billions of people and billions and billions and billions more jinns, all the animals and every other creature Allah has ever created. So the earth needs to incorporate all of us. It will be equivalent to 50,000 years for us, but a day for Allah. With each form, each speed, each mass, curving space-time, time goes by at different speeds. For us, it's been billions and billions of years. But for Allah, ever since he created the universe with the Big Bang till now, it's only been six days. What's going to happen when the sixth day is up? Would then the day of judgment commence? The last day will commence. The hour will commence. Allah mentions the hour in the Quran several times. In chapter 33 he says, Say, knowledge of the hour rests with God. Who knows, perhaps the hour has drawn near. The hour of truth. What is the hour of truth? But how can you know what is the hour of truth? Allah says, Can they expect anything but the hour which shall come upon them suddenly? Its portents are already here. Muhammad confided in his wife about something. He was panicked after the night journey, Al-Isra wal-Miraj. He saw the massive angel Israfil that night. The angel with the trumpet. Israfil took a deep breath and was ready to blow the trumpet, looking towards the throne of Allah repeatedly for the final signal. God says, We have created all things in due measure, and our command is but a single word like the twinkling of an eye. Muhammad said to his wife, who was telling him to relax, How can I relax? when Israfil is about to blow the trumpet. There is no time. There is no time? Time for what? Why are we here? Allah says that he only created us for one purpose, to worship him alone without any partners, so that with his mercy we may enter paradise beyond the low tree and abide therein forever in bliss, where his glorious throne is the ceiling. Allah has put us to the test. 
Do we really think he's going to wait for billions and billions of years to see if we are worthy to be in paradise with him? No. This test lasts for a week. That's all. Our time to prove to Allah that we want his mercy is almost up. Allah does not need us. We need him. We want to live, to be alive, and most importantly, be alive in a joyous and peaceful state with the ones we love. And the one, the only one, who can deliver us that is him. He already knows which of us are going to paradise or not. But the point is, we do not know. It would not be just if he were to judge us simply with his knowledge alone, because the actions need to take place before the judgment for it to be a fair judgment. Not only is he all-knowing, he is all-wise and the most just. So we are here for us, so we know what we have done. When we receive our books on the Day of Judgment, the evildoers amongst us will deny what they did, even though Allah has recorded everything we have ever done. So even recorded actions within these books won't be enough for the evildoers, but that won't matter because our very limbs will speak on our behalf that day. There will be no lies, only justice. We are here to carry out the actions, so there are no excuses on the day of judgment from us. What is being judged are the very intentions of our hearts. We may not want to be judged, but that is not for us to decide. We did not create ourselves. We belong to God. It is for him to decide what to do with us. Without him, we wouldn't even exist. So we can't sit here and say, oh, I don't want God to judge me. Remember, Allah wants us to succeed. That is why he sent us messages through all his books and prophets, peace be upon them. All of them with one message, La ilaha illallah. He gave us the final book and the final prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to signal that the end is near. He sent down the Holy Quran so that we may reflect upon the verses and go to him. We take a step to him and he runs to us. We are the ones that chose to have free will. We chose to be human because to obey Allah with free will, with a choice, would put us higher up in the ranks above the angels who do not have free will. We said that we would pass this test we just don't remember we said it. Just like we do not remember the time we spent in our mother's wombs. But just because we don't remember something, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. We all said, I bear witness that there is no God but God. When we were created first in soul form, we declared our faith already to God. We bore witness. Then God put us to the test on this earth to see if we were truthful in our declaration but only for a short amount of time. He shall say, how long did you remain on earth in a number of years? They will respond, we remained for a day or part thereof. Ask those who count. He will say, you remained only a short while, if only you knew. The day he herds them, it is as if they had tarried on earth merely an hour of a day. They shall whisper to each other, we remained in the world a mere ten. We know best what they say, for the most just among them will say, you remained in the world a mere day. Muhammad said that 
the age of the world is seven days from the days of the afterlife. Muhammad وسلم, knew that Akhirah commences on the seventh day. The seven days include the day of judgment. There is no time, the Prophet said. That was 1400 years ago when our Prophet Muhammad وسلم, saw Angel Israfil in this state. 1400 years ago is less than a second in Allah's throne time. Our Prophet had the right to panic. Israfil is about to blow the trumpet. It is said that the angel is huge in his size and is made of light. What kind of light? Only Allah knows. The bigger the mass, the slower the time. For us it's been 1400 years, but is that the same for Israfil? The angel is in a perpetual state of crying because he knows what's coming. He is so big that his tears don't reach the earth. And if they were to reach the earth, we would experience the flood of Noah. For Israfil, it has not been 1400 years, it's been minutes. And for Allah, it's no time. The trumpet will not be blown until all the minor and major signs of the hour have been fulfilled. All of the minor signs of the hour have come to pass. And as for the major signs, they will come in such quick accordance, like beads falling off a string necklace, as our Prophet said. One sign after another. One of the major signs, and there are ten, is when Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, Isa will return. He was raised up into the heavens by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time of crucifixion and never died, Isa still lives. That was over 2000 years ago. When he returns, he would not have aged a day. Wherever Isa is now, time is going much slower there compared to the earth. So when he returns, earth would have aged by 2000 plus years and he would have come back into the future. Another major sign is when the sun will rise from the west instead of the east. How will this happen? The obvious answer is that the earth will start to rotate in the other direction. The rotation of the earth was much faster when it was first formed. It has since slowed down and one day it will come to a complete halt and possibly start to rotate the other way. However, this will not happen for another 1.9 trillion years. Considering that the Earth is only slowing down by about 1.7 milliseconds every 100 years. So if the Day of Judgment will not commence until the Sun rises from the West, then the Day of Judgment cannot be on the seventh throne day according to this particular hypothesis. And not to mention that our Sun has about 5 billion years left to live, the Earth would be destroyed by the swelling of the Sun way before the earth will stop spinning. So we won't be alive 5 billion years from now because of the red giant let alone 1.9 trillion years away. The sun would have swallowed us up. However, there is something else that will occur much much sooner and it has happened many times in earth's history and it will happen again. The flip of the earth's magnetic field, pole shift, a geomagnetic reversal. Last time it happened 786,000 years ago, 
which was about five minutes ago in Allah's throne time. Scientists claim that the Earth's magnetic field is weakening at the core, and the next flip of the North and South Pole may happen within the next few thousand years, or maybe even within the next thousand years. It's already overdue. It is coming. Some scientists claim that the pole shift may even occur within the next human lifetime. On average, that's only about 70 years. That is less than a second in Allah's throne time. It will come to a gradual decline. But the shift to complete the flip of the North and South Pole could take as little as a week. The North will become the South Pole. The Earth's rotation will remain in the same direction. But because of the magnetic shift change, the Sun will appear to rise from the West. And soon after that will come the earthquakes and the fires the other major signs of the hour, one after another, like beads falling off a necklace, and then, the closure of the week. After the major signs have come to pass, that is when the hour will commence, and the trumpet shall be blown. The end is very near. We are all here for a prescribed time. Have they not pondered within themselves? God did not create the heavens and the earth and what lies in between, except in truth and for a stated term. After the stated term is up, what will happen when the trumpet is blown? Will there be a big crunch? Allah says, That will be the day when we roll up the sky as a scroll rolls up books. Allah will roll up the heavens as if the heavens are made of paper or fabric. Allah says in the Quran about the day of judgment, they see it far, but we see it near. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Moses, Musa salam, The hour is coming. I am about to reveal it, so that every soul is rewarded for what it has achieved. That was said thousands of earth years ago. We are at the precipice of this life. To God we belong and to Him is our return. To Allah subhanahu the seventh day may be minutes or even seconds away. The clock is ticking.
It is God who created the heavens and the earth, and everything in between in six days, then sat firmly on the throne. Or is it just a short period of time for God? So we're talking about space and time and the size of Allah. Let's take an extraordinary journey together through space and time and discover the secrets of the cosmos. So what about the throne? That would make the Earth's age a third of the universe, wouldn't it? One second is 2,700 years. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. By time, indeed, mankind is in loss, except for those who have believed and done righteous deeds and advised each other to truth and advised each other to patience. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. Welcome to Season 2 of Allah and the Cosmos. Four years ago, we began this incredible journey through the cosmos to explore and discover its secrets. And four years ago, a decimal point was misplaced in Part 1 Season 1 of Allah and the Cosmos. A decimal point that went unnoticed until now. In this episode, we will look at how time affects our tiny planet compared to the time at Allah's throne. We advise that if you haven't watched Season 1 of Allah and the Cosmos, especially Part 1, please watch this video or some content may not make much sense. So, let's begin. The Six Days of Creation Allah says, that the heavens and the earth were created in six days and he created the earth in two days within the six days of creation which is one of the biggest signs that allah has given to us about his design that the universe is 13.82 billion years old and the earth is 4.6 billion years old which makes the earth's age exactly one third of the age of the universe allah is at his throne and it is the throne that is the reference point of time for Allah. Because the throne is the ultra-massive object warping the space around it, where Allah has chosen to be. In light of the new information about Allah's throne time, let us see just how much of a difference this one decimal point makes and see how time passes at the throne relative to the earth. We need to revisit just how fast time is flying by on our tiny planet. For this, we need to go back in time, four years ago, and reset. So, here we go again. The universe is 13.82 billion years old. 13.82 billion years is just six days in Allah's throne time. One day at Allah's throne is equivalent to 2.3 billion years on Earth. One hour that passes at Allah's throne 
is 96 million years on earth. One minute at Allah's throne is equivalent to about 1.6 million years on earth. So just one second that passes at Allah's throne, about 27,000 years would have passed by on earth. One second is 27,000 years. Time is moving faster than we had ever imagined. Just look at the power of Allah. We thought 2,700 years a second was incredible. But one second is not 2,700 years, but closer to 27,000 years per throne second. The mind cannot even perceive this. Just how insignificant is this life on Earth? Just how fast is our test? Dinosaurs were not around seven hours ago for Allah, as we had previously thought. Dinosaurs were destroyed by an asteroid 65 million Earth years ago, as we know. And in throne time, this happened only less than an hour ago, from the present moment in time. Human civilization, which is said to be about 200,000 Earth years old, ever since Adam al-Islam, was not one minute and 15 seconds ago, but it is closer to just seven and a half seconds ago. That's when our test began for Allah. And do you know what else this means? It means that the average human lifespan, which is 71 years on this planet, which we thought was about 27 milliseconds, is actually only about 2.7 milliseconds. We only live for about 3 milliseconds here on Earth. And that's if we get to old age. If you're young, in your early 20s for example, you've only lived about a millisecond so far. If you're about 35 years old, you've only lived for a millisecond and a half. If you're 50, you've lived for about two milliseconds. Our lives here, it's not even a second to Allah. Time is just nothing for the Lord of all the worlds. He makes time. He is time. When we say Allah is time, it's because He makes time. He created time. He created the first creation, which was the throne. And as He created the throne, time began. All time is Him. He is infinite, but He started time. The Prophet ﷺ once said, Do not curse time, for Allah is time. So for Allah, the past 27,000 earth years is nothing. It's just a second, as he can move as fast as he wants to. Allah travels faster than the speed of light. Remember, his speed is infinite, which means he can go into the past and the future, however, whenever he wants. So it doesn't matter for Allah. Allah has not missed a single event in the past 27,000 earth years. Do you know what happened on earth within just the last throne second? Just at the beginning of this one throne second, Earth would have been going through its last ice age about 25,000 years ago. The vast majority of the planet would have been covered by icy glaciers. 24,000 years ago, pottery was invented, less for cooking and more for making idols. 
Around the same time the cave bear became extinct. 20,000 years ago, harpoons and saws were invented. 15,000 years ago, the Sahara Desert, which wasn't a desert then, was humid and full of water. About 13,000 years ago, the planets began to heat up, and so the Sahara Desert dried up. 11,000 years ago, people started to keep sheep and goats, and then came the domestication of cattle. Let's skip to the future a bit. 5,500 years ago, the oldest known wheel was discovered. 4,000 years ago, Prophet Ibrahim salam, Abraham was born. 3,300 years ago, Musa salam, Moses was born. 2,000 years ago, Isa salam, Jesus was born. 1,400 years ago, a boy by the name of Muhammad, peace be upon him, was born. And the Quran came down soon after. Let's skip to the future a bit more. 140 years ago, Krakatawa erupted, where more than 36,000 people died. The airplane was invented 120 years ago. 100 years ago, World War I started. World War II was about 80 years ago. 77 years ago, Hiroshima happened. 53 years ago, the first man landed on the moon. A lot of us were born around this time or later. YouTube was invented about 17 years ago. The COVID pandemic hit the world about two years ago. And here we are today. And all of that happened within just a second for Allah. Just unbelievable. This puts trials, tribulations and suffering into perspective, doesn't it? We will all go through tests and trials. That's why we are here, to prove that we believe in Allah with our free will. People ask, why does Allah allow suffering? Allah says in chapter 4 verse 79 that whatever good befalls you comes from God. Whatever evil befalls you comes from your own selves. Everything good is from Allah and everything bad, it's mankind's fault. But everything that happens is Allah's will. If someone murders someone innocent, that's not Allah's fault. That's the fault of the killer people question, why does Allah not intervene and save that innocent person from being killed? For Allah, it's just milliseconds compared to all eternity in paradise. He can see the injustice that has been done to this innocent person. It's only going to last for less than a millisecond compared to an eternity in paradise, which is of course absolutely incomparable. And the justice? Whoever harmed that innocent person will have to answer to Allah tomorrow. In fact, Allah says that if someone wronged someone else, he will step aside on the day of judgment and let the victims decide what to do with the criminal. Which is in a way much worse for the criminal, because if Allah was to judge, well, he is the most merciful. But humans? We are not known to be that forgiving. Either way, there will be justice. This perspective of time should give us hope. Hope that the innocent will prevail in the end. The end which is extremely near. So, when will the hour commence? We may be seconds away from midnight. When the clock that is with Allah strikes, we don't know when midnight strikes. When we say midnight, what we mean is the border between day 6, the day we are on right now, and day 7, which is Judgment Day. 
Midnight at Allah's throne could strike at Maghrib like it does here on Earth, when the sun sets, which differs depending on what part of the planet we are on. Or it can be at the man-made time for midnight. We say man-made, but we did use the sun and the moon to develop the clock we have now. And by we, I mean the ancient Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians invented the first sundial. 12 hours for daylight and 12 hours for nighttime, so 24 hours in a day. Of course the day and night do not always work like that. The only time that they do this is at the spring and autumn equinoxes. Today we use the sexagesimal system, which is based on the number 60. 60 seconds, 60 minutes. The system was founded in ancient Mesopotamia and used by Sumerians and Babylonians. But the clocks were not as precise as they should have been. So many, many moons later, the Catholic monks developed the first mechanical clock. So our clocks do use the celestial bodies that Allah gave for timekeeping. And it was Allah who inspired us with all this knowledge of time and timekeeping. So who knows when midnight strikes? Only Allah knows. It is only Allah who knows the sign of when his throne day ends. The hour is with him. It may not be minutes, but just mere seconds away. And we've only got less than two and a half milliseconds to pass this test. And just because our lives are just milliseconds, this does not mean that we should just give up on life and what's the point, and it's all going to be over soon anyway. No, it should be the opposite. It's all going to be over soon. We don't have much time. Now it makes even more sense that Israfil al-Islam is about to blow the trumpet to signal the end of the world. He is ready. But are we? We need to try our utmost best in this life to earn the pleasure of Allah before it's too late. Because our individual clocks are ticking. Time, time is almost up. بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم 
say he is God, the one and only God, the eternal, absolute. He neither begets nor was he begotten, and there is none like him. If the Great Pyramid of Giza can slow down the time around it, and it's in the shape of a pyramid, why can't a throne? And the throne of Allah is much, much bigger than the Pyramid of Giza. It's much larger than the Earth, than Jupiter, than the Milky Way galaxy, the Andromeda, a supernova, a black hole, a whole universe. The throne is larger than all the universes combined, and then some. Allah says that his throne encompasses the heavens and the earth. Yes, this does mean that God's kingdom encompasses the heavens and the earth, but let's take it more literally than that. His actual throne encompasses the heavens and the earth due to its size. The throne is the base reference point of time itself because throne time is the measurement that Allah is using as that is where he is. Due to the way that the throne's gravity bends the fabric of space-time, time goes extremely slowly at the throne relative to the Earth. Of course, the slowest that time can pass is no time at all. For example, at the center of a black hole, time doesn't exist. But we are talking about severe time dilation, not if time stopped, and the most severe time dilation relative to the Earth and everything else in existence is at Allah's throne. So taking into consideration that time encompasses all things, then the throne, in terms of time itself, encompasses the heavens and the earth. Look at the miracle of the Quran. In one sentence, Allah says so much, how He subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us multiple signs from one sentence. His throne encompasses the heavens and the earth. We can never imagine the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter how hard we try, it will always be completely different from what we see in our mind's eye. We only know what Allah has allowed us to know. Just a few examples of how big the throne is compared to all the universes. And he has allowed us to know 4% of the universe. Maybe it's a bit closer to 5% now. Either way, it's not much. At the throne where Allah has decided to be, time is passing very slowly. So slowly that when you think about it, it hurts your mind. Time is relative. So in throne time, a day is equivalent to about 2.3 billion Earth years. At this moment in throne time, it is still the sixth day on the eleventh hour. Midnight is approaching. We are on day six, and zero hour is very close. Exactly when the hour will commence, only Allah knows. Allah says that the throne is the largest creation He has ever created, but He did not specify it when exactly He created it. Time started at the birth of the universe, right? But when did throne time start? When did actual time start? At the birth of the throne. But when was that? Was the throne created at the precise moment of the Big Bang? Or was it created before that? If the throne was created before the Big Bang, then it has been more than six throne days. It's been six days for Allah since the Big Bang, and 13.82 billion years for the universes. But how many throne days? throne months, or even throne years, has it been ever since God created the throne? Wouldn't it be strange to think that the Almighty has only been creating for six days? 
What about before the six days we know of? Is it possible that he was creating before and that he will create after? Remember, Allah is infinite. He is not six throne days old. He does not have a beginning or an end. The seven heavens are six throne days old and the earth is two throne days old within the six throne days. But we do not know how old the throne is. Only Allah knows. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson said something very interesting. He said, we do not know what we do not know. In other words, there is so much mystery out there in the universe. We know this, but we do not know what the mystery is. So we do not know what we do not know. The universe is expanding and accelerating, and Neil says that one day it may expand so much that future humans will not know anything but the stars and planets of our own Milky Way galaxy. They won't know that there is anything else out there. All of the galaxies would be so far away that their telescopes won't be able to find them. Then Neil asked, what if this happened before? What if we are missing things that are too far away from us now? So it makes one wonder, how do we know that there has only been one big bang in the history of all things created by Allah? Only Allah knows. With the exception of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is not bound by space and time, everything else in the universe needs the fabric of space to exist. This is because everything is made of matter except Allah. And matter cannot be without space. So the throne needs space. And before the Big Bang, scientists claimed that there was no space or time. Space needs time and time needs space. For example, if you want to meet up with a friend of yours, you can't just say, let's meet at the corner of Blue Street. Well, what time? You also can't just say, let's meet at six o'clock. Well, where? Space and time are combined. So in this case, if time started at the throne, then there had to be space. Maybe God created the throne at the exact moment he set off the Big Bang? Or maybe there are indeed more days than the six days that we know of. But Allah had to start from somewhere. There had to be a day one for creation. And maybe when the Big Bang happened, that was day one of the creation of space-time. However, maybe that was just day one for the heavens and the earth. Because God says that the first thing he created was the throne. Allah says, He it is who created the heavens and the earth in six days, and his throne was upon the waters, so as to test you, who among you is the best in works. From this verse, we can see that Allah's throne already existed before the heavens and the earth and the water beneath the throne existed along with it. So either the throne or the water beneath was the first creation of Allah and anything else around those two creations, or the throne, the water and the surroundings, if there were any, were all created simultaneously. But what is clear is that the mighty throne and the water beneath were created before the heavens and the earth, so before the Big Bang. Our Prophet told us that amongst the first things Allah created was the pen. The pen asked, what should I write? And Allah replied, everything until the last day. The pen recorded all the matters of the universe as 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. 
so before the Big Bang. 50,000 years? What years? Earth years? Throne years? It doesn't matter to Allah because He is infinite. So even if it is 50,000 throne years, which is about 41.975 quadrillion Earth years, so before he created the heavens and the earth and all the beings, he decided to create the throne and to have a record of all things in a book, the mother of books. Take computers and iPhones for example, they record everything in code, like the matrix. So even we do this, I wonder where we get this idea from, how God logs everything, no one knows. This pen. Don't even bother trying to imagine it. We can't. Time was the first creation, because as soon as Allah created the throne, or the water beneath, time began. Allah says that he created the throne above water, and he created the heavens and the earth. So, the pen was created more than 50,000 years before the heavens and the earth. How long ago was the throne created? Only Allah knows. Not only is it the first, the throne is the largest creation of Allah, and as it sits on the fabric of space, it must be warping space-time like nothing else in the entire fabric of the cosmos. God and his final prophet Muhammad tells us that there are seven heavens, and more including the hells in paradise. But the thing is, the first universe is so small compared to the second universe that even if the second universe was right in front of our noses, we would not be able to see it. The first universe compared to the vastness of the second universe is as small as a ring compared to a desert after all. The second universe is 500 years away and we do not know at what speed. Light speed? Even so, it is very, very close. Remember, the nearest galaxy to us is 2.5 million light-years away, so 500 light-years is very close. How is the second universe closer to us than the next galaxy? Maybe there is a wormhole connecting the universes or the universes are superimposed. We could very well be living in a multiverse. If we are too close to something, we could lose perspective. For example, what do you see here? It's a melon. What about this one? It's the eye of a fly. So where is the second heaven? It's right there, up there, it's just too big for us to see. So then, where is the throne? Fascinating, isn't it? On the Day of Judgment, the throne will be brought forward above the plains of the earth. There will be eight angels bearing the weight of the throne. We will be so close to it that time itself will be different that throne day. That day will not be equivalent to 2.3 billion earth years. That day will be 50,000 earth years long, because the earth will be larger and closer to the throne. Therefore, earth time would be slower than it is now. Instead of billions of years, it's just thousands, because of the gravity of the throne and how it bends the very fabric of space. That heavy day, Allah will destroy everything and bring it all back into existence, like he did the first time, 
or the first time that we know of, the Big Bang. But this time, everything will be everlasting. Before Allah brings everything back to life, our Prophet Muhammad said that Allah will be alone for 40. 40 what? 40 seconds? 40 minutes? 40 hours? 40 days? 40 months? 40 years? 40 throne years? He does not say. There will be a period of time where we will not exist. But Allah always keeps his word, don't worry. He'll bring you back. He says if he wanted, he could bring us back with our very same fingertips. And we know that every individual on earth has a unique fingerprint. How can he bring us back exactly as we are? Well, Allah answers that as well. Our Prophet said that there will be a small part of our backbone that will remain, the tailbone, and Allah will create our bodies again with it, like how plants grow from a seed. How our Messenger knew about DNA 1400 years ago is a miracle in itself, because why would Allah need our tailbone? So he can create our very bodies with our own DNA. And it is also incredible how our souls were formed from the backbone of our father, Adam And this is what will remain of us, and we will be made again by it. This is all too easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't worry. You will be you. How it will happen exactly, only Allah knows. Allah says, thereafter you will surely die. And on the day of resurrection, you will surely be brought out alive. Above you, we created seven heavens, nor were we heedless of creation. We made the water descend from the sky in measure and settled it on earth, but we are in truth capable of blotting it out. We only know very little about the earth and this universe, let alone the soul and the other dimensions of the worlds. We only know what Allah and his messenger وسلم, have told us. Muhammad وسلم, told his companions, may Allah be pleased with them, that Allah started the creation of the heavens and the earth on a Saturday, and the world ends on a Friday. Notice that this is seven days, Saturday to Friday. Not only that, these are throne days. If Allah created the world on a Saturday, that would make Thursday, day six which is today, and Friday is tomorrow. Judgment Day is on Friday. People think Allah is just talking about Earth Days, Earth Friday. But what if Allah is signaling Throne Friday? Or the last day could be on both Earth Friday and Throne Friday. It could have been planned that way by the Almighty, the best of planners. Allah does not give us all the answers. He gives us signs. Because if he gave us all the answers up front, well, there would be nothing for us to ponder over, explore and discover. Allah wants us to ponder over his creation and the verses of the Quran. The Quran is a book of signs. All around us are signs. An average human life is 71 years, which is less than a second in throne time. We have less than a throne second to do our best in this life, to be our kindest, most generous, loving, merciful, charitable, the best version of ourselves. We were created for one purpose, to worship Allah alone without any partners.
To worship does not just mean to put our heads on the ground for the Almighty, although yes, this is the best form of worship, because this is when we are closest to God and how we show that He is the greatest. It humbles us so we do not forget how small and fragile we are. But to worship Him is so much more than that. Giving your own child a kiss on the head is a form of worship. Eating and drinking is a form of worship. Waking up in the morning is a form of worship. Going to work is a form of worship. Sleeping is a form of worship. Saying I love you to your spouse is a form of worship. Breathing is a form of worship. Everything we do is a form of worship when we understand that everything we do is because Allah created us. To God we belong and to Him is our turn. And without Allah deciding to create mankind in the first place, we would not exist. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim But those who fear their Lord shall have chambers above which are chambers rising high and beneath which rivers flow. This is God's promise and God fails not his appointed time. All praise is due to Allah Lord of all the worlds, let's continue our incredible journey together across the multiverse and beyond. Each day of the world is sacred. For us, it's been thousands of days ever since we were born until now. And if Allah wills, we may witness on average about 25,600 days or even more and that's just for one generation. 
It's been about 200,000 years since the first generation. Yet all these millions and millions of days since Adam salam are all just a tiny minuscule part of one throne day. The sixth day of the cosmic week. We refer to the cosmic day as a throne day because the throne is the ultramassive object that is warping space-time for Allah so much that it's only been six days for him ever since the creation of the universes. And for us, it's been 13.82 billion years. Allah is at his throne. Each day at the throne is equivalent to 2.3 billion years on earth. Each second at the throne is 27,000 years on earth. Wait a minute. If each day with Allah is 2.3 billion years and each second with Allah is 27,000 years, then why does Allah say in the Quran in two places that a day is like a thousand years? This is a very good question. A question that we've all probably wondered. Let's find the missing piece to this puzzle. Allah says in chapter 32 verse 5 that he governs creation from the heavens to the earth, and it ascends back to him in one day, the length of which is a thousand years by your reckoning. And before this, in chapter 22 verse 47, Allah says, They ask you to hasten the torment. God shall not fail to keep his promise. A day with your Lord is like a thousand years of your reckoning. Let's look at these two quotes in detail. Chapter 32 verse 5 is about the thousand years as a measurement, a length. I wish the angels and in particular angel Jibreel travels in one earth day. Please watch Allah in the Cosmos season 1 part 4 Speed of Angels where this quote is explained in more detail. So this quote isn't about a day being equivalent to a thousand years. It is about how the length or distance of a thousand lunar years is the same as the time of one earth day. So it's not time versus time. It's time versus distance. So it's not about time being relative here. This quote is about the speed of light. Okay, so what about chapter 22 verse 47? Now this quote is very interesting because it is about a day being equivalent to a thousand lunar years on earth. It is time versus time. There's no length or distance mentioned here at all. It's relativity for sure. Isn't this a contradiction with the one throne day being 2.3 billion years? But is Allah referring to a throne day here? If the six days calculation is correct, that would mean that a thousand years on earth is literally less than a second with Allah. So this doesn't make any sense. But we know there are no contradictions in the Quran. We must be missing something. So let's have a look at the quote again. They ask you to hasten the torment. Allah is talking about the torment of the hellfire. God shall not fail to keep his promise. Allah's promise is what? Allah's promise is paradise or hell. Allah's promise is the truth. In this particular verse, Allah is referring to hell. And by default, Allah is also referring to paradise because that is his promise to the believers. A day with your Lord is like a thousand years of your reckoning. And there's another translation of the Arabic text which is Verily a day in the sight of your Lord is like a thousand years of your reckoning. What is Allah talking about? His throne day? Or a day in paradise and hell? And the translation Verily a day in the sight of your Lord is like a thousand years of your reckoning is particularly interesting because Allah says it's within his sight. 
He can see it because Allah can see all. Allah can see hell, Allah can see paradise, and He can see how long the days are there. Allah can see the realms of paradise beneath His throne. So Allah is saying that a day in paradise or hell is equivalent to a thousand lunar years on earth. Because he used the word promise in this verse, the throne is nowhere to be seen here. The word promise is mentioned 151 times in the Quran. A lot of the quotes are about how Allah's promise is the truth, Allah's word, the resurrection, and in many places he speaks about paradise and hellfire and how they are his promise. It's because of a similar quote in the Bible that some of our Christian brothers and sisters say that the universe is 6,000 years old through no fault of their own because it's a bit confusing. How if a day is equivalent to a thousand years and God created the world in six days so therefore the universe must be 6,000 years old. Of course there is mathematical logic to this but we know through scientific findings that the universe or should I say multiverse is much much older than this. After all, didn't the Quran arrive to clear these misunderstandings? But how can we know for sure that a day where Allah is now is not a thousand years, but 2.3 billion earth years? Well, as always, Allah left us a clue. Allah gave us the reference point for time, which is the mighty throne of Allah, where Allah has chosen to be. Remember, Allah is not bound by the throne. Allah does whatever he pleases. So if Allah wants to use the throne as a reference point for time, who are we to disagree? And in no way does this mean that Allah is bound by time. Allah is just using his throne because he wants to. Allah says that he sat firmly on the throne. This is just one of the English translation of the Arabic word, istawa, which actually cannot be translated perfectly. Scholars have tried to translate this Arabic word as sat on the throne, rose over the throne, established himself above the throne, mounted the throne, established his dominion over the throne, positioned himself on the throne, leveled himself upon the throne, seated himself upon the throne. But all in all, Arabic is Arabic, and we cannot describe and must not describe how Allah is sitting on his throne. Some people get offended when people use the word sit or sat or sitting for Allah because they think that this gives Allah a human attribute. But does it really? When we say Allah has sat on his throne, are we really imagining Allah is being human? In no way. To sit is not just a human attribute and it is not disrespectful because to think that to sit means someone is tired is also a misunderstanding of the word sit or sat. Let us explain. Doesn't a lamp sit on a table? Is the lamp a human? Or is it tired? Do flowers sit pretty in a vase? Ever heard of the term, let's just sit on this information for a bit? As in to delay something? Or to sit on an idea? Doesn't a crown sit on a king's head? Isn't planet Earth sitting on the fabric of space? So. When someone says that Allah sits at the throne, do we mean he is tired? Or are we describing a human form or attribute? Or has there been a misunderstanding? No one is describing Allah. Why? Because we can't. 
Our minds cannot perceive what Allah looks like, and having a throne is no metaphor. Some people believe that when Allah says throne, He just means His kingdom and not an actual throne. This, however, is untrue, because then why would Allah have four angels carrying the throne if it's not real? And just to get us thinking a bit, just to give a bit of understanding, doesn't the word throne imply that someone is using it? The word throne itself implies that someone sits on it. For example, if we were to say the sentence, Simon has a pair of red socks, then do we really need to say that Simon has feet? Isn't that already implied by default? So when Allah says that he has a throne, isn't he using it? We just don't know how, and we won't know until tomorrow, the seventh day, when we will witness the throne for ourselves and how Allah uses it. No matter what we imagine about Allah, it won't match the reality. We won't be able to. Allah says that He has a face. Allah says that He has hands. So are all these just metaphors? No. Are these human attributes? No. A building has a face or facade. A mountain has the north face. Ever heard of that? A clock has hands. These English words are not describing the human form in no way, unless the subject that we are talking about is human to begin with. Allah does have a face, we just can't imagine it. Allah does have hands, we just can't imagine it. Allah does have a throne, we just can't imagine that either. And Allah does sit on his throne, we just can't imagine it. He is sat on his throne in a way that befits his majesty. That's all we can say. The how? Now that is with Allah. If you prefer to say the word established, that is your right. None of the translations are wrong. It's just they can never match the Arabic word, istawa. When we try to imagine the throne, our brains will just imagine the earthly thrones of kings that we know and remember. But who knows what shape Allah's throne is? Some people say we can't say the word sat because that implies that Allah is smaller than his throne. Again, we're thinking too much about how Allah is sitting when we say things like this. Allah's size we cannot imagine, he is infinite. And even so, just for argument's sake, say a human king sits on his throne which is larger than this king, just as an example. We're just thinking logically. Will this king ever think that this throne, which is bigger than him, is greater than he is? Or will any of his subjects for that matter, who know this king, ever think that his throne is greater than the king? Of course not, never. An amazing king will always have an amazing throne because the throne would represent his might but the throne would never be as mighty as the king himself. Again, this is just for argument's sake, we're not saying Allah is smaller than his throne, so let's not get into technicalities about Allah and the English language too much because then we will surely just miss the point. The point is Allah is at his throne, where there is time, and has just been six days there. Outside the realm of the throne, there is no time. The throne is bound by time. Allah 
is not bound by time. He is infinite. The King of Kings. Allah has just chosen to have throne days as a measurement, as a record, where there is time. And time is relative. A throne day is part of the six days of creation. The six days of creation is mentioned in the Quran many times. A day with Allah is not a thousand earth years at the throne. When Allah speaks about a thousand years, He is referring to paradise and hell. Because each time Allah speaks about the six days of creation, He also mentions something else. Like we said, Allah left us a clue. Let's witness the awe of the way Allah speaks and the way He gives us signs. Allah says in the Quran, It is God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between in six days and sat firmly on the throne. Chapter 32 Your Lord God is He who created the heavens and the earth in six days and sat firmly on the throne. Chapter 7 Your Lord is God who created the heavens and the earth in six days and settled firmly on the throne to order the world's affairs. Chapter 10 He it is who created the heavens and the earth in six days and his throne was upon the waters so as to test you who among you is the best in works. Chapter 11 It is he who created the heavens and the earth and what is in between in six days then sat firmly on the throne. All merciful is he, ask about him one who knows. Chapter 25 he it is who created the heavens and the earth in six days, then sat firmly on the throne. Chapter 57 Did you see the clue? The throne seems to be mentioned along with the six days. Isn't that fascinating? Why? The throne is directly linked to the six days of creation. It is indeed the reference point for time. Unbelievable, isn't it? The throne is what is making the days with Allah go slower, and the days on earth are going super fast, relatively. However, there is one more quote about the six days of creation, just one more, which is unique and doesn't quite fit the theory, or it would seem. Allah says in chapter 50, We created the heavens and the earth and what lies between in six days, and no weariness touched us. Where is the throne? Where is the reference point of time? Why is this quote different from the others? Well, if you put this particular quote into context, Allah is talking about the people who doubt the resurrection as in how Allah will bring everyone back after we have died. In chapter 50, Allah speaks in many ways about his power and how easy things are for him. He says, Did the first creation make us weary? And yet, they doubt a new creation. Allah talks about how he doesn't get tired, that it's all easy for him. And so were the creation of the heavens and the earth in six days, that creating them were nothing for him. And people think he can't resurrect mankind again? Human beings are nothing compared to the magnificence of the cosmos. Allah is not talking about the relativity of time in this verse, he speaks directly. In first person, he says, we. We created 
the heavens and the earth in six days, and no weariness touched us. In all the other six quotes about the six days, Allah refers to Himself in the second or third person. Allah says He or God. And those other six quotes, unlike the unique quote in chapter 50, are also rounded by scientific verses, like the sun and the moon, the alternation of night and day, the two seas, the creation of man, the speed of light, iron from space. Even Allah al-Mahfuz is scientific as we know that the preserved tablet is the cosmic timeline. And in four of those quotes, he asks us to reflect upon the verses. And when we reflect, we see a pattern where the six days of creation are tied to the throne of Allah, where Allah is. And note that it is also interesting that there are exactly six quotes on the six days of creation, along with the throne as a reference point for time. Coincidence? Unlikely. And that unique seventh quote is a bit on the grey side of understanding, almost like Allah is signalling about the seventh day, which is Judgment Day. What do our Christian brothers and sisters say? God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. What's this unique seventh Quranic quote again? We created the heavens and the earth and what lies between in six days, and no weariness touched us. Interesting. It's almost like a direct correction from Allah about the seventh day, on this seventh quote, about the six days of creation. How Allah does not need rest. He does not need anything or anyone. We need Him.
all praise is due to Allah, Lord of the mighty throne, Lord of all the worlds. Destiny. What is destiny? It's the age-old question everyone on the planet in one way or another has thought about. Fate. Is it up to fate? Or is it what we make? Or can it be both? To understand destiny, we just need to open our minds to the possibility. Call it what you will. Qadr, destiny, fate, determinism, predestination. What you will. That seems ironic, doesn't it? In the first two episodes, we spoke about how time is relative and Allah Almighty created the world in six days. That time is different depending on where you are and the gravity of where you are. If you haven't watched Allah and the Cosmos part 1 and 2, we advise you to watch those episodes first before embarking on yet another journey with Beyond the Lotri. The cosmic calendar where it all began, the genesis of all things, right at the start of the Big Bang? No, it started before the Big Bang when Allah created his throne. But our story, our story started 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, with a pen in a book. 50,000 years? Earth years? Throne years? We don't know. What kind of pen? It's made of light. What kind of book? It's made of light. Its script is light. This book, which we call the Preserved Tablet, has red rubies with its upper end tied to the throne of Allah and its lower end in the lap of an angel. Which angel? The Archangel Israfil is the guardian of the Preserved Tablet, the angel who is also holding the trumpet, ready to blow into it to signal the end of the world. Inside one of his books, the glorious Quran, Allah says, This is a book, the Quran, which we have sent down to you, full of blessings that they may ponder over its verses. So let us ponder over the verses of predestination. There is a chapter in the Quran, the 97th chapter, it's called Fate, Al-Qadr, and it's about the night of decree, Lalat Al-Qadr. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Quran was revealed on this night? Doesn't this make us wonder? that the Qur'an was meant to be sent on the night of decree and there is something about this whole predestination thing. Allah says that this night is better than a thousand months. The topic of destiny seems quite important. The night of decree is when Jibreel came down and revealed himself to the Prophet Muhammad and said, Read. The first revelation of many which will marvel the minds of future generations to come until the end of days which was all written in a book 50,000 years before the Big Bang, before the creation of the heavens and the earth. What book? Allah al-Mahfuz is this Arabic term. Allah calls it the mother of the book, the preserved tablet, the mother of the Quran, because the Quran was already written inside it before it was sent to earth. With him are the keys of the unseen. None but he has knowledge thereof. He knows all that is on land and on sea. Not a leaf falls, but he knows it. Not a seed in the darkness of earth. Not anything, fresh or dried, but is inscribed in a manifest book. It is he who causes you to die by night and knows what you earn by day. Then he sends you forth therein until a stated term is fulfilled. This book 
Have you ever thought about what this book may look like? How it has documented all that was, all that is, and all that will ever be? We made a book, Facebook. Facebook has a record of the user's past and present. Imagine what kind of book the all-powerful can create if Mark Zuckerberg can create this. And what about a MacBook? Interesting, isn't it, when we think this way? The preserved tablet doesn't seem so unbelievable now, does it? And it's up there, somewhere, in the cosmos, amongst the stars, where the throne stands. The first thing Allah created was the pen. He said to it, write. It asked, what should I write, my lord? He said, write what was decreed about everything till the last hour comes. The pen has been lifted and the pages have dried. So if our actions have already been written prior to us actually doing that action, then how can we be in control of our action? Well, you see, your actions have been written, but that doesn't mean that you are not in control of them. Our actions have been written in advance, that's all because Allah can go in and out of time zones as he wishes. He is not bound by the past, present or future. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing. Allah Almighty has written everything that we will ever do before we will do them, because he knows what we will do. He is not controlling our actions. We have the free will to do what we choose in any given circumstance. He just knows what we are going to do, because Allah is not bound by time. Time. In the beginning, Allah created his throne with the water beneath. Then came the pen and the preserved tablet 50,000 years before the Big Bang, the cosmic timeline, the galaxies, the sun, the earth, everything that has already happened, happening and will happen somewhere in the cosmos. The six days. We are on the sixth day, very close to the end. And our story, from the day we were born, to the day when we will surely die. Yes, everything has been pre-written, including all our choices. Choices we make every day, at home, at work, whether to pay the bill or not, to brush our teeth or not, to play with our children or not. Say if one day we wanted to go skydiving, we pondered over whether we should or not, a bit scared, but in the end, we decided to go diving, soaring through the sky. Do we pull the parachute or not? It has been pre-written. I guess we do nothing because it's been pre-written. Or do we pull the chute because we don't want to die? But death has been pre-written. So how is it our choice? Pulling the chute, this choice itself has already been made by us. It's been pre-written because we were always going to pull the chute. Allah knew that, so he wrote it down. But it was always going to be our choice, because as the observer, we do not know what we will choose in the present moment, with our free will. Death has been pre-written, yes, but there are causes to death, cause and effect. Sometimes that cause can be us, if we didn't pull the chute, if we didn't survive. That has also been pre-written. Similarly, when you cross the street and you decide to look both ways before crossing, how does that make sense if there is fate and everything has been pre-written? If you crash, you crash. It's been pre-written, right? Well, you looking both ways has also been pre-written. If you didn't look both ways, there is still cause and effect. You put yourself in danger and then blamed fate. If a car happens to crash into you and you die, your will not to look 
the driver's will to drive that day, God's will to allow the cause and effect and every snapshot of things we can and cannot control leading up to that moment of death has been pre-written. And all of it came together in a way that you will be hit by that car and die. Unless God decides to save you, that's his will. And if God decides to take you, then that is his will also. And it was your time to go back to him. Can we change our fate? Of course. Just ask the one who controls it. He who is not bound by time. Ask Allah through dua, through prayer. If Allah changes your fate, that change has already been written in the preserved tablet. Allah knew you would ask and Allah knew he would change your destiny. Any changes that occur through du'as or if Allah changes his mind, that was already written in the mother of the book. Every destiny that will be changed has already been changed. Allah already has, is and will change it. Fascinating, isn't it? So we do have some influence, but there are so many aspects that are not in our control. For example, the weather. Allah says, no disaster strikes upon the earth or among yourselves, except that it is in record before we bring it into being. Most things that happen around us or to us are not in our control. In fact, we have very little control. All we can do is choose, make a choice, A or B, this way or that way, yes or no. That is free will. Whether we live or die, whether there is a natural disaster or not, our provisions and sustenance, all of that is out of our control, but our choices can affect the choices that Allah makes. For example, the plagues of Egypt came after the choices of the Pharaoh. God was not puppeting Pharaoh. Pharaoh made his own choices, which led him to act the way he did. And then God brought down the plagues that Pharaoh could not control. However, his actions brought the misfortune upon the land. But did Allah already know what Pharaoh would do? Yes. But does that mean that Pharaoh was not responsible for his actions? Of course he was. God's knowledge of the future events did not take away Pharaoh's free will at all. God is all-knowing. And not to mention, Pharaoh's doom in the hereafter would not make any sense if his actions were not his own. It's like Allah has written down everyone's biography in advance before we were even born. This doesn't mean that the author of the biography controls the subjects. It means that the author knows the future. Allah is the author of our story. In a way, our story is written in the stars. God effaces what he wills, and he confirms and establishes what he wills. With him is the mother book. It is said by the scholars that there are four things that have been pre-written. One, the preserved tablet, which has everything pre-written. Two, Laylatul Qadr, when God decrees yearly. Three, angels write our fate at the time of the human soul being entered into the mother's womb, our death, our provisions, and if we will be successful or not. Four, Allah writes our daily destiny, Yes, Allah writes our destiny once a year in Laylatul Qadr. And yes, the angels have written down our destiny when we were inside our mother's wombs. And yes, Allah writes down our daily destiny also. However, all this was already written in the mother of the book, the preserved tablet. Somewhere in the cosmos, you've already made all your choices. 
Life is a series of moments. Every moment is the present moment somewhere in the cosmos. We have already made all the choices that we will ever make. Now we are just going through those choices to understand why we have made them. What are our intentions? It is with our intentions that we will earn God's pleasure after all. It is the heart that is being tested. Prophet Muhammad said, every single action is going to be rewarded according to the intention behind it. When we take into account the relativity of time, then predestination makes sense. When we see our lives as a series of snapshots, then predestination makes sense. When we take time out of it, then that is when destiny and free will become confusing. So it begs the question, why go through all this if Allah knows where we will end up in the hereafter? Well, first of all, don't we want to exist? And more importantly, we need to go through life with our actions and intentions for the result of the hereafter to be a just result, proof for the observer, us. You can't do the time if you haven't done the crime. You can't plunge into glory if you have never actually done anything to deserve God's pleasure. God will not just skip you to the end. It would not be very fair seeing as we want free will. Then the wrongdoers will ask, why are they in hell? The point is, God knows what we do not know. We need to see, so we have to go through the scenarios of this life for us to believe and understand the why behind the choices. Okay, so is God not manipulating our choices if he knows what we will do? He knows in which scenario we will say yes and which scenario we will say no. How is that just? Well, Allah says he guides whomever he wills and in Surah Al-Fatiha, the opening of the Quran and the prayer that Muslims have to say in every Salah the only prayer in the surah, guide us to the straight path. What straight path? We are talking about fate here and we don't even know it. We are asking Allah to guide us because he knows the future. Therefore, he knows what is best for us. He knows what will happen if we were to choose A or B. And he also knows what will not happen. And if it were to happen, what would happen? Allah knows every outcome. And we ask him to guide us to the best outcome with our free will, of course. That is not manipulation, that is guidance. Straight path, what path? The path of God's will, of course, where God's will and our will meet. The straight path to success, which we are blinded to, but Allah can see. Allah says, he leads astray whomever he wills. Again, this is not manipulating. These people never wanted Allah's guidance anyway. Allah knows that, and Allah knows what is in their hearts. Consider this. This preserved tablet, this book, the book isn't in the timeline. The timeline is in the book. Don't you see what this book really is? The book is the cosmic timeline. From day one, the Big Bang. And it ends on day six until the last hour before Judgment Day, which is day seven. Day seven isn't in the book because Allah said to the pen, write everything until the last hour which is day six. Only parts of day seven are in the book because parts of judgment day are in the Quran and the Quran is in the book. Time started for us at the Big Bang. There were things before the Big Bang, yes, but for us humans, time started at the Big Bang. That was day one. This tablet made of light, doesn't it sound familiar? What about the tablets we make as humans? The iPad, the Samsung Galaxy, the Amazon Kindle, other Android tablets, etc, etc. 
Yes, there are also ancient tablets made of stone, like the ones Moses, peace be upon him, had. And Allah's tablet? Doesn't it sound a bit like a supercomputer? Its pen is light, and its script is light. Google has machines that collect all this data filled with information, filled with knowledge about the earth and everyone in it who uses Google search. The thinkers that Google can build all this, what kind of database does Allah have? What kind of system? All the world's data is in this preserved tablet, all the knowledge of the universes. It is said on Judgment Day, Day 7, we will all receive our individual book of deeds. These individual books are already in the preserved tablet. The data is already there. It's as if the individual books would be just printed out of the tablet and given to us. Of course Allah knows best this is all just what we can understand as best we can. Only Allah knows what these books really look like, what make, what technology. In the beginning of the creation of man, our father Adam made a mistake. And Allah knew he would. He sent him down to the earth and Allah knew he would do this. But Adam had to go through that descent and Adam understood that it was all his doing. That is why he asked for God's forgiveness. People ask, if Allah knew, why did he get angry? Well, we know one day our loved one will die. It is inevitable. When that day comes, will you not shed a tear? The timeline of the cosmos is all God's will. In regards to our choices, that is our efforts, our will. When our actions come to pass, it is in line with God's will. He gave permission for it to be. Even the things we do that Allah does not like, He still gives permission for the test to be just. We reap what we sow. He is, after all, the most just. Some say there is no fate but what we make, while others say it's up to fate. Isn't it both? God's will and human effort. We do shape our own destiny with our free will, what we choose to do. But there is a bigger aspect which we do not control and that is God's will. Can you make the earth spin? Can you stop the comets from hitting earth by using Jupiter's gravity? Can you genuinely create the wings of a fly? Even with our free will, our choices, let's face it, we're not in control. The world is just too big. We have Allah's will and then we have our human free will, which is within Allah's will. Because nothing we do can happen without God's permission anyway. We will cease to exist without God. So there is human will, which are our choices. Then there is human influence, which is the human ripple effect from our choices. Our influence is a big part of this world. We have impacted many things that surround us. Even if we are not in control of those aspects, we still have, even if small, some kind of influence. All this plays a part in our destiny. There are so many levels of cause and effect. So many things have to touch each other and go right for anything to occur, like a puzzle. With the things that happen to us that we can control, we are here to understand the why we have made that choice. And with the things that are out of our control, we are here to understand the meaning behind the things that happen. But we need to give the right meaning to situations. A lot of the times we may come to wrong conclusions. For example, the day that the Prophet Muhammad lost his beloved son, there was a total eclipse in the sky. 
Many of his Islam's followers claimed that even the sky was grieving the loss. That was the meaning they gave to the eclipse that day. However, the Prophet said no, that the eclipse had nothing to do with his son's death. It was just a natural phenomenon. There was no correlation between the two events, which was the truth. So we need to come to the right meaning to the things that happen around us. Why do we say inshallah after saying anything about the future? Because so many elements need to go the right way to fit what we want to happen. Tomorrow may never come for us. Our plans are not real until God wills it into existence. Don't expect to be around the next day. If you survive till the evening, do not expect to be alive in the morning. And if you survive till the morning, do not expect to be alive in the evening. Allah mentions the mother of the book and predestination in many places in the Quran. In fact, it is the noble Quran in the preserved tablet. And indeed, it is in the mother of the book with us, exalted and full of wisdom. Say, only what God has decreed will happen to us. He is our master. Let the believers put their trust in God. Wherever you may be, death will overtake you, even if you should be within towers of lofty construction. Do you not know that God knows whatever is in the heavens and on earth? It is all in a book. It is all easy for God. All things we have tallied in a manifest record, but with us is a book that records all. Allah the Almighty was there when there was nothing else. His throne was above water. He wrote everything in the record and he created the heavens and the earth. There is a hadith that says Allah created the preserved tablet as wide as a hundred year walk. It has been said that Allah glances at this book 336 times a day. With each glance, he does what he wills. He exalts a humble person, humiliates an honored one, enriches a poor person, impoverishes a rich person, gives life to someone, causes death to another and does whatever else he wills. There is a book in the cosmos and we are in it. Humans were not around for 99.99999% of cosmic history. We are just a blip in all this, and Allah is our guide if we want Him to be. There is none worthy of worship except Him. Fulfill your destiny to understand the why. Somewhere in the cosmos, you already have.
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Exalted is God, the true King. There is no God but He, Lord of the Noble Throne. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, Lord of the Mighty Throne. Nothing is above Him, and He is above all. We have traveled across the vast multiverse of Allah together for a long while now, and yet there is so much that we do not know. Of what we do know, which is the observable universe that we can detect. Within this observable universe, we only know about 5% of what is there, which includes the planets, suns, moons and galaxies. We don't know what the rest of the 95% is at all, which is made of dark matter and dark energy, or as some scientists call, dark gravity. We know 5% of the observable universe, the matter that is within the universe, and we don't even know what the unobservable universe holds. How big this universe is, only Allah knows. For all we know, dark energy is a force that we cannot see in this universe, but maybe it can be seen and observed more accurately from another universe. After all, there are seven universes that we know of, and dark matter? What is dark matter? No one knows. It could be just ordinary matter from another universe seeping into our own. The first heaven. Can you imagine? What if we could detect the energy or the gravity of the throne of Allah? What if scientists are detecting the throne and they don't even know it? What if the throne of Allah is seeping into our universe, which is the lowest heaven out of the seven, and we can feel it, but we can't see it? Wouldn't that be something? After all, the throne is the largest creation of Allah, and the universe is compared to the throne. Well, we are practically nothing. Our Prophet said that the seven heavens compared to the Kursi of Allah, the chair of Allah, is like a ring compared to a desert, and the Kursi of Allah compared to the magnificence of the Arsh of Allah, the throne of Allah, is like a ring in a desert. Wait a minute. There's a chair. A Kursi. What is that? Is that the same as a throne? The Arsh of Allah? Or is it something else entirely? Let's find out. The Throne of Allah The throne is the first creation of Allah. It is the ultra-massive celestial object where because of its very existence, time began. It was created by Allah, who is timeless. But as the throne was created, so was the cosmic timeline. The pen was created, as was Allah al-Mahfuz, which is the cosmic timeline. So that would all make sense now, wouldn't it? The question of what came first. Some people say it was the pen, others say that it was the throne. But one cannot exist without the other in terms of purpose. It is their purpose that defines them. 
The throne had to be made first because it is the reference point of ultimate time. It is the beginning of time. And the pen had to be created along with it because the pen is part of the cosmic timeline, which is the mother of the book, Allah al-Mahfuz. So how can we have a cosmic timeline without the time? So how can we have the pen without the throne? We can't. The throne would have had to be created first or at the same moment in time as the pen and with it, the mother of the book. It is said that Allah al-Mahfuz is kept at the throne. It's beginning to make sense now, isn't it? But what exactly is the throne? We surely cannot imagine it. But when we try, its magnificence sends shivers down the spine. And what is this kursi? What is the arsh? It gets a bit confusing, doesn't it? There are over 77,000 words in the Holy Quran. The word arsh, which translates into throne, is mentioned 21 times in the Holy Quran. The word kursi, which translates into chair, is only mentioned once. Just once. I bet you won't need three guesses where exactly in the Quran the word kursi is mentioned. Of course, the one and only, Ayatul Kursi. The greatest verse in the Quran. The companion of the Prophet was once asked, what is the greatest verse in the Quran? The companion recited Ayatul Kursi. The Prophet told him to rejoice in his knowledge. This verse is so important that if you were to recite it before you go to sleep, Allah will send down two angels to protect you throughout the night until you wake. This verse, it is so important that if you were to recite it, the devil would run away immediately. Allah protects you instantly when you recite it. It is so important that if you were to recite it every time after your Fard Salah, as in your obligatory prayer, so five times a day, nothing will stop you from entering paradise except the fact that you are still alive. It is so important that it bears the most beautiful names of Allah, ever-living, everlasting. It is the only verse from all of God's books, the Holy Quran, the Gospels, the Torah and all other books that came before it in their original form. It is the only verse that has a structure and a beauty that has never been seen before. Ten sentences, one kursi, one Allah, magnificently worded, mesmerizingly written. These words of Allah are like no other. It takes you away, away, up, into the cosmos. Hypnotic. It is known as the verse of the throne. But hang on, isn't the word throne arsh in Arabic? But the word kursi is used here, which means chair. Most people believe that this kursi, this chair, that is referred to in this great verse is the footstool of Allah. And many don't really know what the kursi is, and others think it's the same as the arsh or the throne of Allah. There are also those who believe that the kursi is the raised plinth where the throne is placed upon, as you see most thrones have this. And some even believe that the throne of Allah is the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, himself, 
which is complete fabrication and should not be contemplated in any way, shape or form. Let's think a little deeper about these theories, shall we? After all, Allah did tell us to ponder over the verses of the Quran, and what better verse to ponder over than Ayatul Kursi? Let's get started. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. God, there is no God but He, living and everlasting. Neither slumber overtakes Him nor sleep. To Him belongs what is in the heavens and what is on earth. Who shall intercede with him except by his leave? He knows their present affairs and their past, and they do not grasp of his knowledge except what he wills. His throne encompasses the heavens and the earth. Preserving them is no burden to him. He is the exalted, the majestic. Let's have a look at the cosmic checklist. There are six theories about the throne of Allah. Let's rule out one of these theories real quick. The first theory is that the Kursi is the eighth realm or the eighth heaven and that the Arsh is the ninth realm or the ninth heaven. That the realm of the Arsh is greater than the realm of the Kursi and it is not a physical throne at all. It is a realm like a universe, realm of knowledge and stars. Interesting theory, but let us ask, where is the proof for this? Where is the logic for this theory? Where is the basis? Ever heard about the seven groups of people who will be shaded on the Day of Judgment by the throne of Allah? So they will be shaded by a realm? Or knowledge? This doesn't make any sense. So there will be eight angels carrying a realm of Allah on the day of judgment? And now there are four angels carrying a realm? Again, doesn't make any sense. And where in the Quran or Sunnah does it mention nine heavens? We know there are seven. Of course, there are much more than seven. How many universes there are, only Allah knows. But in relation to the seven heavens as a group, only seven universes are mentioned, above which is paradise. And then you can say you have the realm of the Kursi and Arsh, creations which are real. So we are happy to cross this theory out. The second theory is that the Arsh and Kursi do not exist at all. That God does not need a throne. Allah is all-powerful. He doesn't need rest. There are many flaws to this way of thinking. Let's get one thing straight right away. Not only does Allah not need his throne, he does not need anything or anyone at all. So if we were to think that Allah only creates things he needs, then let's face it, nothing would exist except Allah. So this way of thinking is majorly flawed and illogical. It's similar to when people ask, why does Allah need us to obey him or pray to him? Again, we haven't understood when we ask these questions. Let us give an example. Let's say someone has a little toddler and this person tells their child who they love dearly to eat their broccoli. I need you to eat your broccoli. You have to eat them all, they say. Now, does this father really need his child to eat the broccoli or does the child himself need to eat the vegetable because it's good for him, the child? What would happen if the child doesn't obey the father? Would it affect the father physically? No, it would affect the child. Allah tells us what to do because we need it. 
for our own good. We need Him. So we pray to Allah because we need Him to provide. He doesn't need us. If we don't pray, nothing will happen to Him. If we don't obey, nothing will happen to Him. If we never existed, nothing will happen to Allah. The same applies if there were no planets, no stars, no galaxies, no black holes, no white holes, no low tree, no hellfire, no paradise, no throne, no time. Nothing will happen to Allah. Nothing. He created all these things because He wanted to and He can, not because He needs to. So applying this way of thinking to rule out the existence of the throne would be incorrect. So we will cross this theory out also. The third theory is that the kursi is the raised plinth which the arsh sits on. The idea is that almost every throne that we see from the past kings and queens had a raised plinth. This plinth usually symbolizes that the king or queen who sits upon this throne is the most high. However, applying this to the kursi does not seem possible. The raised plinth would have to be bigger than the arsh. And we know from the Prophet that the kursi of Allah is smaller than the arsh. It is like a ring compared to a desert. So we will just rule this one out. The fourth theory on the list is that the kursi is the divine knowledge of Allah and the throne is his sovereignty. But then why are there four angels carrying the throne of Allah? And the word kursi literally means chair. So why is it not a chair? Why is it a metaphor? Just because we can't explain something, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. We may not be able to explain it because Allah has not given us that knowledge. And that's okay. That's up to Allah. But again, it doesn't mean that it's a metaphor. It just means that we don't understand it. Yet. And furthermore, people say that since Allah has no shape and doesn't need space, then the throne and the kursi cannot exist. But again, we are diving into how Allah uses the throne, which we cannot do. This question about the how Allah uses the throne is a question we should not be delving into, and we won't, simply because we can't. Our minds won't be able to comprehend this. We think we know how to imagine things. We think we can imagine the throne. We think we can imagine Allah. Let's try something that seems simple. Just go with me here. Close your eyes. Clear your mind. Imagine a red bicycle. Imagine the blue sky. The turquoise green of the Indian Ocean. The orange of a sunset. Now imagine a whole new different color. Go ahead, really give it a try. Try and imagine a color that isn't red, green, blue, orange, yellow, indigo, or violet. You can't, can you? No matter how hard you try, you just can't. It's impossible. The human mind cannot go beyond a certain point in terms of colors. We cannot imagine any color outside the color spectrum of a rainbow. Now we do not know what Allah looks like. And if we can't even imagine a new color, do we really think we will succeed in imagining Allah's throne or Allah himself? 
It's okay to ponder. We should think as much as we can. That's what Allah wants. We can talk about the throne from the knowledge that Allah has bestowed upon mankind from the Quran and the Ahadith. But we have no knowledge about how Allah uses his throne. So we won't go in that direction. We just know that he uses it somehow. And that the throne is related to time and space because of the weight of the throne. It has only been six days for Allah ever since the Big Bang up till now. And the throne is real. So we will rule out that the Kursi and the Arsh is a metaphor also. They are out there somewhere in the cosmos. The fifth and possibly the most popular theory is that the Kursi is the footstool of Allah and the Arsh is the throne of Allah. Let's have a look in more detail, shall we? The word Kursi, as mentioned earlier, translates into chair, so some scholars believe it is like a step before the Arsh, so therefore a footstool, and it is not attached to the Arsh. The Arsh and Kursi are not the same, they are different, they are separate. But here's a question, has the Prophet ever mentioned a footstool? Or did he وسلم, just say Kursi and never really explained what that was? Does the word Kursi translate into a footstool at all? No, it doesn't. Not at all. The Arabic word for footstool is Misnad al Qadimin. It comes from the Arabic word for foot, which is Al Qadam, and the Arabic word for stool, which is Al-Makad. If Kursi means chair, then that's what the Kursi is. A chair. Or why would the Prophet not use the proper word for footstool? Now some people may think that maybe it's out of respect for Allah. That the Prophet maybe didn't want to attribute feet to Allah. Because when we say footstool, we think feet automatically. Well, if that is so, why does the Prophet ﷺ talk about Allah's face? How the greatest gift in Jannah is to witness Allah's face? Or how Allah has hands? This is inconsistent. The Prophet ﷺ never mentioned a footstool because it is not a footstool. And the most important question, why? Would the greatest verse of the Quran be about Allah's footstool and not the throne, his greatest creation? Which brings us to our last theory. The theory that the Kursi and the Arsh are the same. Ever thought, why is the Kursi only mentioned once in the Quran and the Arsh is mentioned 21 times? Why did Allah not use the word Arsh instead of Kursi in Ayatul Kursi? Not only is the word Kursi mentioned once, this word is mentioned in the greatest verse of the Quran. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that make us wonder why? Why is something only mentioned once and surrounded by such beautiful attributes of Allah, ever-living, everlasting, which are said to be the greatest names of Allah? Why would Allah do that? It's a simple answer. The truth always is. Simple. Maybe it's because the Kursi is special to Allah. How Allah is one 
he mentions his kursi once also. And no, this does not mean that the kursi is eternal. The kursi is a creation of Allah. It had a beginning. But there is only one kursi of Allah, because there is only one Allah. That's one reason why the kursi is mentioned only once. Another reason could be that Allah has given us more detail about his throne. Allah has given us a sign that there is more to the throne or the arsh, that a special part of the arsh is the kursi. Think of it this way. A king has a magnificent palace. Inside this palace, the king has a special room, his throne room. This king wrote a book. Inside his book, he mentions his palace a lot, but he only mentions his special throne room just once inside the greatest chapter of his book because it's special to him, because it's the king's room. In this example, the arsh would be the palace and the kursi would be the throne room, a special place. A throne is usually structured in two parts, the smaller chair part and the larger decorative part that surrounds the back of the chair. Now we have zero idea about what Allah's throne looks like, of course. But it would seem that there are indeed two parts, because Allah mentions the word kursi and the word arsh. So maybe the kursi is the chair part, and the larger decorative part of the throne is the arsh? No. Wait a minute. Let's think for a moment. The word arsh means throne. So, if the kursi is indeed the chair part of the throne, the special part, then the arsh, the arsh must be the whole thing, the massive decorative part which is so big that its size is like a vast desert compared to a ring, which is the kursi, so including the kursi, and all of it, all of it, the entirety of it, makes up the arsh, the throne of Allah. The kursi, the kursi is special. Could it be that the kursi is special because the kursi is what Allah is touching? It is touched by Allah, the Lord of all the worlds, the one and only. There is none like him. Even though the kursi is much, much, much smaller than the arsh, it has a distinct value that the arsh may not have. The arsh has a different value in terms of size. It is larger, yes. The kursi is like a ring compared to the desert, which is the arsh. But a question comes to mind. A desert is more magnificent indeed. But isn't a ring like a precious treasure found in that vast desert? Just a thought. After all, Allah does love it when we ponder. How is the kursi touched by Allah? We do not know. We cannot imagine this and nor will we try. Just like we cannot imagine a new color. We just know that the kursi is special and Allah is using it. Somehow, the kursi is a special part of the arsh, and so it is part of the throne. The arsh and the kursi are indeed one. Check. Allah is above his arsh in a way that befits his majesty. Allah is using his kursi. We don't know how, Allah knows best. Only Allah knows exactly what the arsh and kursi are. 
We can only put our minds together and see the evidence and come up with the best theory we can. But it is becoming more clear that the Kursi and the Arsh both make up the throne of Allah. Why? It's that question again. Why would the greatest verse of the Quran not be about the throne of Allah? Come on, it's obvious, isn't it? The greatest verse would be about God's mightiest creation. Inside this great verse, Allah says, He knows their present affairs and their past. So he's talking about the timeline of everyone here, and it's interesting that the preserved tablet is kept at the throne of Allah, which we know is the cosmic timeline and has all the knowledge of the universes. Allah says, and they do not grasp of his knowledge except what he wills. His knowledge of everything. And then Allah talks about his special chair, the kursi, and by extension, the entire throne. How his throne encompasses the universes. Allah's throne is his first creation, and it is what's shaping ultimate and absolute time. So it's only fitting that the greatest verse of the greatest book is about the greatest creation. Not only is the throne Allah's greatest creation in terms of size, it is also the greatest in terms of weight. The throne is so heavy that it is bending space-time in a way that no other celestial body is. So much so that it has only been six days up there inside the realm of the throne. Our Prophet knew that the weight of the throne was something special when he advised his wife to make a supplication that would be equivalent to a whole morning of praise. He told her to say, Allah is free from imperfection and I begin with his praise as many times as the number of his creatures in accordance with his good pleasure equal to the weight of his throne and equal to the ink that may be used in recording the words. Every time a supplication has the word throne in it or we invoke Allah as the Lord of the throne, Allah protects us from evil or harm or even sadness because when we call out to Allah as Lord of the throne, we are basically saying that we understand that Allah is the one true King, the Almighty, and that only He can ward off evil and harm. Wherever the throne is mentioned in the Quran, it is either surrounded by the subject of time, like the six days, or the sun and the moon, or the word throne is linked to the one who owns it, Al-Malik, the King. Allah emphasizes over and over that the throne belongs to Him and Him alone. He is the only true King. There are four angels carrying the throne. And on the day of judgment, there will be eight angels bearing the weight of Allah's throne. Allah is above his throne in a way we cannot contemplate. It is only with his permission alone that these angels can carry his throne. You see, these angels don't have the power to carry the throne. Allah gives them that power. They were only able to carry it after saying, La hawla wa la quata illa billah. There is no power nor strength except by Allah. Only after declaring this true fact, 
Allah allowed these angels to carry the throne. How exactly? We do not know. What we imagine can elude us, because we do not know all physics. We barely know the physics of our own universe, let alone the physics inside the realm of the throne. For example, we say the Kursi is below the Arsh. But what is below in a dimension with different physics? The Arsh is above. What is above in a dimension where the physics is different from what we know? Imagine a world where everything is upside down, inside out, black is white, white is black, different colors, different forms, different shapes, and still we wouldn't come close to what's up there. What is up there? Keep looking, keep searching, never stop until you uncover the secrets, never stop until you reach him, the Lord, the majestic Lord of the mighty, throne of Allah. It has been said that at the death of a beloved companion of the Prophet Sa'ad, may Allah be pleased with him, at the moment of his death, the mighty throne of Allah shook because it has been said that when a martyr dies, his soul is transformed into a green bird. What kind of bird? We don't know. But it's definitely not what we think, that's for sure. Then this bird rests at the throne of Allah, where there are hanging chandeliers. We say chandelier, but who knows what they are, really? Maybe they are stars. After all, Allah does call the stars of the first heaven lanterns. I wonder what Allah calls the stars inside the realm of the throne, and what those stars look like. After all, what is a lantern compared to a chandelier? So the mighty throne of Allah shook because it was overjoyed. That makes one wonder that there is a hidden question, a whispering secret, that the throne of Allah is Alive.
by the sun and its morning glow, by the moon in its toe, by the day when it burnishes it, by the night when it cloaks it, by the sky and he who built it, by the earth and he who leveled it, by the soul and he who gave it symmetry, inspiring it with its perversion and its piety. Prosperous is he who purifies it, lost is he who stifles it. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. For a beam of light, time stands still because it's moving through space, not time. The angel Jibreel is made of light, as are all angels. This does not mean that they are light itself. They are made of light like we are made of clay. Jibreel used to converse with the Prophet That shows that Jibreel can change speeds if he wants to or else the angel would be too fast for our Prophet to witness. He can slow down or speed up. We know that the responsibilities given to the angels match their size and speed. We know that Jibreel has the most important responsibility, the revelations. Jibreel is faster than all the other angels, but just how fast? Let's just focus on light speed for a moment. Light can travel very fast through vast amounts of space in very little time. Allah says in chapter 32 verse 5 that He governs creation from the heavens to the earth and it ascends back to Him in one day, the length of which is a thousand years by your reckoning. Other translations of the Arabic Quran are He regulates the affair from the heaven to the earth, then it shall ascend to him in a day, the measure of which is a thousand years of what you count. He arranges each matter from the heaven to the earth, then it will ascend to him in a day, the extent of which is a thousand years of those which you count. This verse indicates an equation, an equation of distance over time which results in a speed. The time is one earth day, the distance is the moon traveling in a thousand earth years and the result is the speed. Why the distance of the moon? Allah says, the length of which is a thousand years by your reckoning, or of which you count. In the times of the Prophet Muhammad the Arabs calculated years using the lunar calendar, which Muslims still use today. So this verse is talking about the distance at moon speed how far the moon travels in a thousand years, not how far the earth travels around the sun, which is how we calculate years in the present time. Calculating this equation will give us two answers, because the gravitational pull of the sun comes into play. You see, the moon doesn't always travel at the same speed, and it doesn't exactly take 30 days for the moon to rotate around the earth. When we take the sun's gravitational field into account, it takes the moon 29.5 days to rotate around the earth, and when we don't include the sun, it takes the moon 27.3 days to rotate around the earth. The sun's gravity helps the moon to accelerate each time the moon comes close to the sun, something scientists call the gravitational assist, which is a fancy way of saying the gravity of the sun pushes the moon along a bit further than it would have travelled if it were not for the sun. So bearing in mind that gravity exists, we will inevitably get two answers from the equation. The first answer without the sun's gravitational effect, so how far the moon would travel outside our solar system. 
and the second answer will be how far the moon travels within the solar system with the sun's gravitational effect. So let's get back to the equation. Allah is telling us to take the time, which is a day. We can calculate this in seconds. Then the distance is the moon in a thousand years without the sun's gravitational assist. The answer is a speed, which comes to 299,827.951 kilometers per second. That number looks a little familiar, doesn't it? This number is ever so slightly off. 299,792.458 kilometers per second, which is the known speed of light. It is 99% accurate, 0.01% off the speed of light. Subhanallah. Now we know God doesn't make mistakes. The mistake here is either by the scientists who calculated the known speed of light or by our Muslim scientists' miscalculation of the equation in the Quran. By 0.01% either way though, it's pretty close and undoubtedly it seems obvious that Allah is referring to light speed. Why would Allah be referring to the speed of light? The quote says nothing about light, right? Well, the cosmic affair or the matter doesn't carry itself to Allah. It is carried by an angel. And what are angels made of again? Light. Now that is the answer outside the solar system. What about inside? Inside our solar system, the calculation is off by a whopping 11% and comes to 336,294.258 kilometers per second much faster than the speed of light. Why? The equation is false, some skeptics say. But is it false? There is a theory that Allah is indicating that angels can travel faster than the speed of light. Therefore, they can go back in time on Earth if commanded by Allah to do so. If that was the case, would that be for all angels? There is an indication that this verse is only talking about one angel in particular, Jibreel Islam, the chief of all the angels, because Allah says the matter or the affair, not matters or affairs, it is singular in Arabic, Al-Amr, and Allah says it ascends back, not they ascend back. Again, it's singular, Ya'ruju in Arabic. Even notice that Allah doesn't say heavens, he says heaven, sama, not samawati, or heavens. Why? Well, the angel doesn't take the cosmic affair from all the seven universes. It comes from one, where the lope tree is, the barrier that the angels cannot pass, the seventh heaven. That's the closest universe to Allah. Allah's throne is directly above paradise, which is above the seventh heaven. Why would this quote be about Jibreel? Well, who resides directly under the throne of Allah? Jibreel, the archangel. In the Bible, he is known as Gabriel. Jibreel has a throne of his own, and it is below Allah's throne. Allah may be indicating that Jibreel moves faster than the speed of light. This would mean that Jibreel can get anywhere in the universe in an instant, and time can stand still for him. Not only that, Jibreel can also move back in time when commanded by Allah. Because if one can move faster than the speed of light, one can move back in time.
The angel here is hidden in plain sight. Allah in all his wisdom gave us the equation of the speed of light so we may discover the angel behind this verse. When you take this into account, both the equations make sense. This verse is referring to the spirit, that is Jibreel and by default gave us the speed of light in which all angels travel. The spirit takes a day to come to the earth with laws and revelations, which would take a thousand earth years for us humans if we were to move at the speed of the moon. We may just have the maximum speed of Jibril at 336,000 kilometers per second, and Allah knows best. Why only Jibril? There is a reason why it is only Jibril who comes down with the revelations to all the prophets, peace be upon them, all 124,000 prophets. Why can't the angels take turns? Other angels have two, three or four wings, but not Jibril, the chief of all the angels. Jibril is always there. He has led armies of angels in battles. He called the fire for Ibrahim Jibreel was the one who switched Ibrahim Alayhisselam's son for a lamb and time at the moment of sacrifice. He was the one who caught Yusuf in the world. He taught the Prophet Muhammad how to recite the Quran. Each time a revelation was brought down by none other than Jibreel himself. And Jibreel is the only one who can ascend to the heavens with the Prophet. He was there during the night journey. He was also there with Idris and took him to the He was there when Maryam gave birth to Isa. Jibreel was the one who took Isa at the time of crucifixion and ascended to the heavens. He was there when Hajar needed him. He was there to bring about the Zanzam world with the strike of his Water heel. which still flows today constantly gushing out 691 million liters. Jibreel was there when Allah ordered him to destroy nations after the corrupt people became violent against the prophets. Jibreel taught Ibrahim the rights of Hajj. Jibreel was there when Pharaoh Jibril died. was there when the Prophet Muhammad was only a young boy and it was him who washed the Prophet heart and filled it with Iman. It was Jibreel who came to the Prophet Jibreel came to console the Prophet when his wife Khadija Jibreel came that heavy day when people threw stones at the Prophet. Jibreel was the one who led the first Salah to teach the Prophet. Jibreel was there at the first Hajj of the Prophet. When the Prophet was ill, Jibreel was there. Jibreel comes every Lalatul Badr. Jibreel was there at the time of our beloved Prophet. Jibreel is the first creation of Allah with a He's the noble messenger of Allah. And on the day of judgment, Jibreel will be there on the right side of Allah. Jibreel is also the one along with Mikhail, Israfil, and the angel of death who Allah speaks to directly. But there are times when Allah doesn't speak to Mikhail, Israfil, or the angel of death directly. But with Jibril, the speech is always direct. Jibril is also the custodian of the scales. Jibril is the one who relays Allah's command to all the other angels. Jibril was there when Allah created heaven and hell. Jibril, Jibril, Jibril. You can find Jibril in almost every major aspect of the human journey. So, is it really a stretch to say that Jibril can move faster than the speed of light? Which would mean that Jibril can move back and forth through time on Earth with his 600 wings. The Prophet asked Jibril one time, Did you ever need to come down from the heavens to the Earth in an instant for any emergency? Jibril replied, Yes, O Rasulullah. There were four occasions that I had to be here, almost at once. The first time was when Ibrahim was flung to the fire. At that moment I was beneath the throne when the command was given. Jibril, reach my friend before he touches the flames. 
The second time when Jibril used his full speed was when Ibrahim was about to sacrifice his son and Jibril switched him for a lamb. The third was when Yusuf fell into the well and Jibril saved him. The fourth was when the Prophet was injured in battle and Jibril came to catch the Prophet's blood before it reached the ground, where no vegetation would grow if the blood touched the soil. If it takes a day for the angels to come to the earth from the throne, in these four instances, doesn't it seem that Jibril can travel faster than that? Seeing as it only took Jibril an instant to get to the earth from the seventh universe. The distance to the seventh universe is only about 26 billion kilometers away for Jibril That is pretty close, no? When the closest star to the earth in the first universe other than our own star, Proxima Centauri, is about 40 trillion kilometers away. Earth is in the first heaven, and Jibril travels to the seventh heaven from Earth in the length of only a thousand Earth years. How? A wormhole. We know that Jibril uses a wormhole along with all the other angels to go back and forth to Earth, as Allah mentions that exact wormhole in chapter 70 verse 4, as it comes from the God of Ascensions. Angels and the Spirit ascend to him in a day that spans 50,000 years. God of Ascensions, as in God of Wormholes. It will take all the angels 50,000 years to travel to Allah if it wasn't for this wormhole. And notice there is no equation here. Allah doesn't tell us from your reckoning or of what you count. So we do not know if the wormhole bends the space of 50,000 Earth years or not. It could be more than Earth years, which would make sense seeing as 50,000 Earth years is a very short distance to travel across seven universes. It could be trillions or zillions of Earth years relatively. Maybe Allah didn't tell us to calculate this time because the distance of space that this wormhole bends is so massive that we wouldn't be able to count. Maybe the number is a Googleplex. Too many zeros to understand or even write down, which again would make perfect sense, that this wormhole bends an enormous amount of space across seven universes. The ultimate cosmic highway. So this wormhole bends space in a way that 50,000 years, we don't know what type of years, becomes an Earth Day. Why Earth Day? Well, this links to the other verse, chapter 32, verse 5, when Allah also mentions that the angel carrying the cosmic affair takes an Earth Day to travel to him. And Allah gave us a length, 26 billion kilometers. Here's a question. Wormholes have a length, don't they? So in this particular case of a thousand years, is Allah not referring to the length of this wormhole? A thousand earth years of moon travel is the length of this actual wormhole which the angels use. And without it, the angels will take 50,000 years of what we cannot measure. The fastest a human being has ever traveled is just a few miles per second. Light, however, travels much, much faster than that. And that is why time for us goes much, much faster and it goes slower for the angels. There is no single time that exists in the universe. It is all relative, but the speed of light is the cosmic constant and it doesn't change no matter what, and its speed barrier cannot be breached. This doesn't only mean light itself, nothing can move faster than the speed of light, or so they claim. So how can Jibreel move faster? Nothing can move faster than the maximum speed of light, right? Well, did you know that space itself is moving faster than the speed of light right now, 
that the universe is expanding faster than light speed. What is making the universe expand so fast? We call it dark energy. And the farther we go out to the edge of our universe, the galaxies are moving faster and faster, exceeding the cosmic barrier of speed. So it begs a question. Maybe we just haven't discovered faster than light travel yet. Notice that just before verse 5 in chapter 32, Allah says in verse 4 that it is God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between in six days then sat firmly on the throne. Just before the equation for the speed of light, Allah talks about the relativity of time, which is also about the speed of light. The general theory of relativity. Allah is giving us an indication of the possibility through one of his books, the glorious Quran, that faster than light travel is not just in our imagination. Maybe before the end of the world, Allah will give us the answer to faster than light travel, or even warp speed. But the end is near, and we may never know. Do you know what scientists say will remain in the end, after the big crunch? They say photons will remain, particles of light. And do you know what Allah says will remain in the end? after he rolls up the heavens in his right hand. Angels. and the earth. The earth is one, as far as we know. It took two throne days to create so that we may understand God's wisdom, so that we can calculate the age and see God's signs, so that we can ponder over where we came from. Allah wants us to think, to calculate. He wants to show us His wonders. 
Allah says in chapter 65 verse 12 that God it is who created the seven heavens and their like on earth. Between them the command descends that you may know that God holds power over all things, that God encompasses all things in his knowledge. As always, let us look at other translations of the same Arabic verse that say, It is Allah who has created seven heavens and of the earth the like thereof. It is Allah who has created seven heavens and of the earth the like of them. They're all saying the same thing, that there is some correlation between the seven heavens and the earth. Something is familiar, similar or the same. So therefore, scholars have derived that Allah is saying that there are seven heavens and seven earths. They are the same in number. A few Muslims claim that the number itself isn't important here and that Allah means several, not seven. But seven is seven. When Allah says a number, he means it. And we know there are seven heavens because the Prophet gave a detailed description of the night journey, his journey through the seven heavens, where in each heaven he met with a Prophet, peace be upon him. So yes, Allah does mean seven universes. We know from a scientific standpoint that Allah works with numbers and the number seven he uses a lot. Seven is a prime number, the optimal prime number. Seven earth days, seven layers of the earth's core, seven continents of earth, seven seas on earth. There are seven heavens with seven doors, seven hells, seven doors to hell and seven earths. The seven rounds of Tawaf, seven throws of the stones, seven runs across Safa and Marwa, the seven that will be shaded on the day of judgment. The lowest of the fire is so deep that a throw of a stone will take 70 years to reach the bottom. 70,000 angels created each day who do tawaf around Baitul Ma'mur. 70,000 angels holding 70,000 chains for hellfire. 70 angels protecting people daily. Laylatul Qadr may be on the 27th night. It is Allah's signature. He uses the number 7 a lot to suggest it's all his design, one design one designer, one God. And yes, this number seven is also used in the Jewish religion. But why is there controversy over this? It's the same designer. So the number seven isn't only going to come up in the subject of Islam. It's going to come up everywhere and in any era. And not only in God's design, it comes up with man-made creations also, because God created man. Most people's favorite number is seven. Shakespeare described the seven ages of man. Sinbad had seven voyages. James Bond, 007. People say lucky number seven. Even Snow White had seven dwarfs. Seven ancient wonders of the world. Atlantis and its seven islands. The seven Spanish cities of gold. Seven deadly sins. In Hinduism, there are seven higher worlds and seven underworlds. Seven years of sustenance. Seven years of famine. Ladybirds have seven spots, seven rows of the periodic table. Inside an atom there are seven levels of energy inside the electron. The cervical spine has seven stacked bones. Memory works in sevens. We can remember seven items. Our skin is generated in seven days. Some say 27 days. Our cells are renewed every seven years. The neutral pH value is seven between acidity and alkalinity. There are seven colors of the rainbow, the seven summits of the highest peaks, and of course there are 
the seven cosmic throne days. And what day is Judgment Day on? Day seven. So it suffices to say, when Allah says seven heavens, he means seven heavens. This Quranic verse may be referring to the similarity of the seven heavens and the earth in four different ways. Let's have a look at the four possibilities and explore this verse. One, the verse is referring to seven earths, including our own earth. Six other earths like our earth in the other six universes above us, or they are within our own universe. The universes are vast. It is not a stretch to think that there are other Earths out there with life. Even within our own tiny universe, there are zillions of galaxies. And the rest of the universes are much, much incomparably bigger than our own. NASA discovered seven Earth-like planets within our own universe. Coincidentally, seven? Or did Allah know we would question this? Of course Allah knew. For there to be Earth-like planets in the other heavens, there needs to be a solar system to sustain life. Allah does say that he has adorned the first heaven with lanterns. However, that does not mean that there is not a star or stars in any other universe. Or where is Isa Where are the other prophets, peace be upon them? Why is paradise bright? Where is Allah's throne? In the darkness? No. We are told that paradise is in daylight. When Allah says he has adorned the first heaven with lanterns, he is describing the first heaven because we can see it. We can see his lanterns. And there are zillions of stars. It does not necessarily mean that the other universes are dark. However, it also does not mean that the other Earth-like planets are not in our own universe, the first heaven. There are zillions of galaxies right here in the first heaven. The other six Earths may just be in our own neighborhood with their own solar systems. Two, the verse is referring to the seven layers of the Earth's core. There is definite proof that the Earth has seven layers. We have the inner and outer core. Then above those layers, we have the mantle, which consists of four layers. And then finally, we have the Earth's crust. Three, the verse is referring to the seven continents of Earth. There are seven continents on Earth. Africa, Antarctica, Asia, Australia, Europe, North America, and South America. Four, the verse is referring to the seven hells, or the seven earths, as several of the prophets, peace be upon them, have quoted, including Prophet Muhammad A prophet said that whoever takes a piece of land unjustly, he will sink down the seven earths on the day of judgment. Yes, he could be talking about the earth's core, but note that in chapter 15, verse 44 of the Quran, Allah mentions that hell has seven gates, indicating that hell has seven levels. Therefore, the seven earths mentioned here is most likely seven hells below our universe. The Prophet also said that there are seven earths below ours, with 500 years between them. On a separate occasion, Allah said to Moses, peace be upon him, that if the seven heavens with all its inhabitants and the seven earths with all its inhabitants were put on one side of the scale and la ilaha illallah was put on the other, la ilaha illallah would outweigh them. It seems clear that Allah is talking about the seven hells here because the seven heavens would already contain the seven earth-like planets. Or Allah would have said, with the seven earths, not and the seven earths. Also note that all the inhabitants would also be the same in number if Allah was talking about earth-like planets to Moses peace be upon him. Allah would not have to say that twice, all of its inhabitants.
Earth doesn't just mean the planet Earth, it also means land, surface or soil. So these are the four explanations for this Quranic verse. Or is there another, a fifth explanation? God it is who created seven heavens and their like on Earth. We spoke about the similarity of the heavens and the Earth in number. But what about in shape? The universe has a shape. All the seven universes have a shape. And they are flat. We are not talking about the Earth. The Earth is round. The scientists say that the universe is flat. The fabric of space is flat. God it is who created seven heavens and their like on Earth. Is it a coincidence that there are seven continents on Earth? Or is it part of a grand design? Earth's continents used to be one landmass, Pangaea. Then Pangaea separated into seven. Doesn't this sound familiar? The Big Bang. God joined the heavens and the earth together, and then he clove them asunder into seven heavens, seven universes. We have a small demonstration, a small mirror effect of the Big Bang here on our own planet. It was one. Then the seven heavens separated, like they did 13.82 billion years ago. So just maybe, Allah created the seven continents of earth in the shape of the seven heavens? Okay, so you may think this is unbelievable, and some may be thinking that the seven continents aren't actually clear-cut separate. They are actually, in terms of landmass, six continents if we were really technical, as Asia and Europe are part of the same landmass. Some countries even say there are five continents. In the old world, it was only four continents, but the majority do say seven continents. Okay, fine, it's not clear-cut unanimous. So maybe it's a bit of a stretch, did you know that Pangaea wasn't the only supercontinent to form ever since the creation of the Earth 4.6 billion years ago? There were more than just the one. How many? Seven. All clear-cut. Each with one landmass. Valbara. Ur. Canorland. Columbia. Rodinia. Panosia and Pangaea. So it begs a question, what if the shapes of the seven heavens, the seven universes including our own, are all in the shapes of the seven supercontinents of the Earth? Unbelievable, isn't it? Subhanallah. And one day, just as Pangaea separated 200 million years ago, Scientists predict that in about 200 to 250 million years from now, the seven continents will come together to form a supercontinent once again. But we know we are at the end times. The final prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, has come and gone, and the seventh day is near. So which of the five explanations of the verse is it? All of the above. We've seen Allah do this when he gives multiple examples through one verse. For example, the six days come to mind when Allah means days and periods at the same time, Yawm. As usual, Allah Almighty, in all His glory and wisdom, and the amazing way He uses words in His glorious book, is saying multiple things through only one single verse. There are seven earth-like planets, there are seven layers of the earth's core, there are seven hells, there are seven continents, and finally, and most astonishingly, 
there were seven supercontinents that resemble the shapes that Allah gave to the seven universes, the seven heavens. Which universe is in which shape? Only Allah knows. For we know, the heaven that we are in right now, our universe, just may be in the shape of Pangaea. Due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. The skies above us are structured in a way that if one number of the laws of physics were misplaced, the universe would collapse into utter ruin. Allah has built this universe in order so we can exist, but our universe is only one of the seven heavens that Allah has created. It all started with a bang, and then the universes began to form. Some people say that there are five stages of the universe, others say that there are seven stages of the universe, and some say that these are the seven heavens Allah is referring to. But we know how many stages there are. Six. Six stages of the universe. The six days of creation. The day it was set off was on day one. The Big Bang. The Earth started to form on day five and the six other universes above us were being arranged in order in these last two throne days. Allah says in chapter 41 verse 9 of the Quran that He created the earth in two days. After this, Allah tells us in verse 12 that He ordained the seven heavens in two days and arranged them. These are the same two throne days as the creation of the earth, days 5 and 6. From this we understand that the seven heavens already existed from day one, which was 13.82 billion years ago. 
But it was only on day five that the seven heavens were defined, completed and arranged officially in order, one above the other, with our universe being the lowest. The seven heavens are not seven celestial bodies. They are not the sun, the moon, Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, Venus and Mercury. There is a misconception about this because of the following verse in the Quran. Did you not see how Allah created the seven heavens in layers? There is a misunderstanding because of the word sea here in this quote. That if the verse has the word sea in it, then that means we can see the seven heavens. Notice that chapter 71 is a chapter about Noah, peace be upon him. Inside the entire chapter, Noah is speaking to his people. The words in this verse are the words of Noah, exactly what he said to his people. It is not Allah speaking. Noah was not wrong because Noah is not talking about the planets here anyway. He is just trying to make a point and give dawah to his people. At the time of Noah, not only could the people see the Sun, Moon, Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, Venus and Mercury, they could also see all the other stars glowing in the sky. So if these celestial bodies were the seven heavens, it doesn't make sense because with the naked eye they could see more than these seven forms. Not to mention the planets and stars are not to each other like a ring compared to a desert. Venus and Mars are similar in size, as are Jupiter and Saturn. Where is the low tree? If it's in the seventh heaven. And what about the Prophet's night journey, where he met with a prophet in each heaven? Wouldn't that mean that he met a prophet on the sun's surface? This cannot be the go-to verse about the seven heavens, because it's from human perspective. Whatever Allah himself says must be the go-to verse, because Allah is the one who knows all and is exact in speech. And when Allah talks about the sun and the moon, he says the sun or the lamp and the moon. He is very clear. Noah goes on to say, God it was who leveled out the earth for you. Does that mean that the earth is flat? No, not at all. Again, it is from their perspective what Noah peace be upon him saw. Noah was calling to his people. These quotes should not be seen as scientific because they are not direct words of Allah himself. These quotes are from the personal experiences of a very established and important prophet. So something doesn't quite add up. If the theory contradicts with what the last prophet and what Allah himself says in the Quran, then there must be another theory. A theory that fits all. The sayings of the last Prophet scientific findings, and the words of God. This verse is one of nine in the Quran that mention the seven heavens. And the other eight verses, Allah himself is speaking. And nowhere in the other eight verses does Allah say the word see along with the seven heavens. Because we cannot see with the naked eye. However, we can explore, ponder, and maybe even detect. Allah says in chapter 23 verse 17 that above you we created seven heavens nor were we heedless of creation. We are not talking about paradise here. When Allah mentions paradise, he says gardens, the highest of them being Al-Firdaus. When Allah talks about universes, he says heavens, the highest of them being the seventh heaven, the seventh universe. Allah sent us many prophets, peace be upon them. With each prophet came signs and a strong unified message. There is no God but God. However, with all of these signs and miracles, the Prophet Muhammad being the last and final messenger was given more signs than those who came before.
and some of these signs were about the cosmos. Prophet Muhammad once said to a companion, Do you know what is above you? Indeed, it is a preserved canopy of the firmament, whose surge is restrained. Do you know what is between you and between it? Between you and it is the distance of 500 years. Let's take a deeper look at what the Prophet was talking about. He said, Indeed, it is a preserved canopy of the firmament, whose surge is restrained. What is he talking about here? Many people say that he is talking about the Earth's canopy, and indeed, yes, the Earth does have a canopy, the ozone layer, which protects us from the sun. But is the ozone layer a surge that is restrained? No, not at all. So it must be the sun, which people claim to be the surge that is restrained. But is the sun a preserved canopy of a firmament? The sun is just a ball of hydrogen and helium burning. Sometimes it lets off solar flares and deadly sun rays and radiation, which the ozone layer protects us from. Is the sun being restrained in any way? The deadly radiation from the sun is being diverted, but restrained? Well, yes, it is actually being held together by its own gravity, so it is being restrained. However, is it 500 years away from us? Not at all. With our fastest spaceship, it would take about nine days to reach the sun. When the Prophet says the word firmament, which is the sky, if this is the Earth's canopy, where is this surge then? Also, the same logic applies when we speak about the Earth's canopy. It is not 500 years away. To get to the edge of the Earth's outer atmosphere would take us about eight minutes. So something doesn't quite add up here. Let's think bigger. Indeed, it is a preserved canopy of the firmament whose surge is restrained. Wouldn't you believe it? The Prophet is talking about the Milky Way galaxy, which indeed is a preserved canopy of the sky whose surge is being restrained by the supermassive black hole in the centre of the galaxy. Without the immense gravitational pull of this enormous black hole, the galaxy would disperse into space and would not be preserved and restrained anymore. It would surge out, riding the gravitational waves of the fabric of space. There would be no galaxy. It would not be preserved. Let's dive a bit deeper into it. How can we confirm for sure that the Prophet is talking about the Milky Way galaxy here? With what he said next. Between you and it is the distance of 500 years. The Milky Way galaxy is a disc-shaped spiral galaxy which is 100,000 light years across. Some people say 200,000 light years across. Our Earth is situated near the edge of the galaxy, where the depth of the Milky Way is a bit thinner than the depth near the center of the galaxy. The average depth of the galaxy is 1,000 light years deep and our Earth is situated right in the center of that depth. So if we were to journey to the top of the Milky Way galaxy at the speed of light, it would take 500 years. 500 years, SubhanAllah. 
the Prophet Muhammad carries on to say that above these 500 years are two heavens and between the two is a distance of 500 years. Then the Prophet carried on until he enumerated seven heavens and above the seventh heaven is the throne with 500 years in between. These seven heavens are 500 light years apart. Why light years and not another speed? Well, because it takes 500 light years to exit our galaxy the way the Prophet ﷺ described. And notice, the Prophet ﷺ did not call the Milky Way galaxy a heaven. He just calls it a preserved canopy. Only after that is when he starts to mention the second heaven. So no, he doesn't mean that the heavens are galaxies in any way. So then comes the question, how is the second heaven so close? We know that 500 light years is not a great distance at all. It's because we are living in a multiverse, where the universes are superimposed. They overlap each other, one above the other, until there are seven, with no gaps or voids in between. Okay, so if the second heaven starts right at the top of our Milky Way galaxy, how come we cannot see it? The second heaven, compared to the first heaven, is like a ring compared to a desert. We cannot see it because it is much, much larger, but we can feel its gravity. Gravity can seep through dimensions, and there is dark gravity that scientists have detected, but they don't know what it is. However, they do wonder how it may be ordinary matter from another universe seeping into our own. This is what we call dark matter. Why is each heaven bigger than the one before? There is a theory. Our universe, which is the first heaven and the lowest universe with the exception of the seven hells below us, our universe we know is expanding. Allah talks about the expansion of the universe in the Quran, and it is we who have constructed the heaven with might, and verily it is we who are steadily expanding it. Scientists thought that the expansion of the universe is slowing down after the Big Bang. However, to their surprise, they discovered that the expansion of the universe is speeding up. Galaxies are moving faster away than the speed of light. What is making these zillions of galaxies act this way? It can't be gravity, because gravity attracts things it doesn't repel, or so the scientists thought. But then they realized that gravity can repel when it isn't just a single area of space, but a collective unified area. They call it dark energy. A repulsive dark gravity. It's what's making the universe expand. This dark energy has a value, a very specific value. How did we calculate this value? We went very, very, very small into the quantum realm. Prominent scientists discovered that the atom wasn't the smallest particle. They cut into it and found electrons, protons and neutrons. However, that wasn't the end of it. We cut into the protons and neutrons and we find even smaller subatomic particles called quarks. Well, that must be it, scientists thought. But wait a minute, they went deeper. And now they claim that inside these quarks, there are these tiny vibrating strings of energy. This is what scientists call string theory. These strings vibrate in another dimension, more than the three dimensions that we know. Up, down, left, right, forward, backward. They are in what scientists call 
the curled dimension. In fact, there could be 10 dimensions and there needs to be for all the mass of string theory to add up. So scientists believe that there are about 10 dimensions, not three. And we are not including the dimension of time here. We are only talking about spatial dimensions. Yes, space and time are combined. However, they are not the same. Some scientists even think there might be a second dimension of time. But let's stick to the spatial dimensions for now. So these tiny strings of energy have a value, a dark energy value. That's where scientists get the dark energy value for our universe. Scientists also say that these strings don't really look like strings. Really, they cannot be seen at all. These tiny strings are too small to see. But we know that they have a shape with 10 dimensions. A shape that they haven't found yet. A shape that is compatible with our universe. They started to predict what the shape of the strings, therefore the shape of the 10 dimensions, would look like. And if they could find the shape, they could measure the level of dark energy of the universe. To begin with, about 30 years ago, scientists predicted a handful of shapes as candidates. And now they have 10 to the 500 different shapes as candidates. That is one followed by 500 zeros. And they don't know which shape suits our universe. So scientists began to think that they are all real. And each string shape is compatible with the universe somewhere in existence. And if each string dimension shape has a different dark energy value, then they must have a correlating universe which they belong to. And so they believe that there are 10 to the power of 124 universes out there, and ours being one of them. That's one with 124 zeros, and much less than the amount of dimension shapes they have, but much, much more than what the creator mentions. But then again, Allah is the creator, and he is always creating. Only he knows exactly how many universes, how many worlds, how many different species, even how many big bands he has set off. We have only been told about seven heavens, seven hells, and eight gates of paradise, indicating eight universes of paradise or more. Because once you enter one of the eight gates, then through each gate of paradise, there are more smaller gates to different levels or smaller universes. It has been said that paradise has more than 100 levels. And this could be more than 100 levels for each of the eight gates. Some say that paradise has as many levels as the verses of the Quran, but this is under speculation. Others say there are even more than that. Only Allah knows how many levels of paradise there are, but we know for sure that there are at least 100 grades of paradise because the Prophet said this. They may be universes of their own. So we are talking about the shapes of these different dimensions for each universe. And scientists say that the small string shapes of the different dimensions can actually be the shape of that very universe which the string shapes belong to. We spoke about the shapes of the seven heavens in our last episode, the seven earths. The seven heavens may be in the shapes of the seven supercontinents of the earth. And it makes one wonder, are these the shapes that the scientists have been looking for for 30 years? these shapes may be compatible with our universe? What if the shapes of the strings, the shapes of the different dimensions, have the shapes of the supercontinents? And that very shape is the shape of the universe. We have seven shapes here, 
But we know that there are more universes than just the seven heavens, and what shapes do the others have? Only Allah knows. And calculating these shapes for dimensions would give us a level of dark energy for each shape. The level of dark energy would be different for each shape and therefore different for each universe. And so the laws of physics would be different for each universe. Different physical appearances, different colors, different sizes, possibly different species and life. Too much dark energy in the universe would expand too much and have no life. Too little dark energy in the universe won't be able to breathe. So again, no life. Our universe has exactly the right amount of dark energy to sustain our species and type of life. Some scientists say that this is for survival, not design. We say it is designed for survival. And why are the other universes bigger than ours? They have higher levels of dark energy and the laws of physics are different from our own. So does this mean that the other universes don't have any life? If they have more levels of dark energy? Not necessarily. The second universe may just have the perfect physics for life. Our only clue is that the second universe is where Jesus, peace be upon him, Isa is right now, and he is alive. But the other universes don't have as many galaxies as our one, if any, only Allah knows. But he does say that he has adorned the first heaven with lanterns. So everything that we see above, our observable universe, is just the first heaven. And the second is just seeping through because it's just 500 light years away. Scientists used to think that the universe is curved. But now they say that the universe is flat in shape. Allah says in chapter 2 verse 29 that It is he who created for you all that is on earth. Then he ascended to heaven and arrayed them in seven heavens. All knowing is he. The Arabic word for arrayed comes from the same word in Arabic that means leveled or flattened. Isn't that fascinating? Allah is indicating that the universes are flat in shape. Which universe is in which shape? We do not know, but we have a strong indication that they are in the shapes of the seven supercontinents of Earth's history. It would take an angel who is made of light, 3,500 light years, to travel to the seventh heaven from the Earth, which is in the first heaven. But Allah is the owner of wormholes, and he has made a wormhole so epic that it bends the space of 50,000 years of what we cannot measure. The type of years have too many zeros to count. It is not Earth years. 50,000 years is the diameter of the seven universes combined. And this cosmic wormhole is 25 billion kilometers in length, which is the distance of a thousand lunar years. With this wormhole, it only takes an angel a day to travel from the Earth to the seventh heaven and vice versa. The entrance to this wormhole is either somewhere outside the Earth or right here on Earth. If we were to take this cosmic wormhole and we wanted to stop off at the second heaven, we most likely wouldn't be able to because there isn't a junction or an exit to the second, third, fourth, fifth or sixth heaven. It only has two gates, one in the first heaven and the other gate is in the seventh heaven. To stop off at one of the other heavens we would need to take different wormholes. Think of it as a shopping mall that has seven floors. If you are standing on the first floor and you want to get to the top, you would most likely take the lift all the way to the top. It's quick, 
Of course, imagining that this lift only has two buttons, first floor and seventh floor. But if you wanted to stop off at any other floor, you would simply take the escalators that are scattered around the mall. Similarly, if we apply this way of thinking to the Prophet Sallallahu night journey, we can understand wormholes better. At every heaven, the Prophet gets stopped at a gate before he can enter the heaven. In each heaven, there was a gate with a gatekeeper guarding it. These gates are entrances to wormholes. These wormholes bend the space of 4.7 quadrillion kilometers, which is the distance that light can travel in 500 years. These gateways make it easier to travel across universes. We are not told the length of the wormhole, nor the time. We only know the speed, light speed. So we cannot calculate. We do not know how long it takes to travel inside the wormholes that bend 500 light years of space. Our best guess would be that it could take a couple of hours, but only Allah knows. But what we do know is if we were to travel all the way to the top of the seventh heaven through these wormholes, we journeyed across the vastness of the seventh universe all the way to the edge, we would witness one of Allah's greatest signs. Sidrat al-Muntahar, the Lot Tree. If it's even a tree at all. Journey with us a 
across the vastness of the seven heavens to discover the secrets of the cosmos. Let's start somewhere familiar, somewhere near the low tree. There is a house up in the heavens, the heavenly house of Allah, Al-Baytul Ma'mur, also known as the frequented house. 70,000 angels come and make tawaf around it each day, and those angels leave it and never return again, with a new group of 70,000 angels who come after them to make tawaf. The cycle will carry on until the last day, when the sixth day ends. This house, ever thought about it? The structure of it, the shape of it, the nature of it? What if I told you that this house isn't really a house per se? It does have a structure, but it's not what we think. There are clues to what this house really is, as there are clues to what the low tree is. Allah left us those clues. He left us breadcrumbs, and if we follow the breadcrumbs, we just may find what we're looking for. It's like trying to find a secret treasure, and once we find it, it is like no other treasure we've ever seen before. Shall we go on a cosmic treasure hunt together? Let's have a look at the cosmic map. We are here, really low down in the lowest universe, the first heaven, and we want to go all the way up to the highest universe, the seventh heaven. That's where Allah's greatest signs are. But what is there? What are we trying to find? We are trying to discover al baytul Ma'mur, which will lead us to the Lok Tree, the X point on the map. Let's take a look at the cosmic map in a bit more detail. So we have the Earth, where the Kaaba is situated. Somewhere outside the Earth we have a place called baytul Izza, or the House of Might. No one really knows what that is. It has been said that baytul Izza is some kind of a structure in the first heaven directly above the Kaaba here on Earth. Scholars say that Baytul Izza is where the Qur'an was revealed from the mother of the book, Allah al-Mahfuz, on the night of decree, and then Angel Jibreel transported the verses to the Prophet There is not much evidence or clues to what this structure may be, but we do have an idea. The Cosmic Wormhole. It must have a name. And we know this structure exists and is somewhere in the first heaven going all the way up to the seventh heaven, where the preserved tablet Allah al-Mahfuz is kept. It has been said that Allah al-Mahfuz is kept inside al-Bayt al-Ma'mur. And it has also been said that it is kept on the lap of Israfil Both are possible. We will come to that later on. Jibril uses this wormhole and he was the one who brought the Qur'an down. This cosmic wormhole must have some kind of name. Maybe it's Baytul Izza. Then right above this in the seventh heaven, we have Al Baytul Ma'mur, directly above the Kaaba of Earth. And then we have the Lot Tree, which is also in the seventh heaven, directly above Al Baytul Ma'mur. Finally, above this is Paradise. So, what is the Lot Tree? When talking about the Lot Tree, we have to talk about Al Baytul Ma'mur because they are both in the seventh heaven, and one is above the other. We can't leave any structure out of the equation, or we may miss something, or come to the wrong conclusion. Everything we know about every structure must be taken into consideration. So what is Al-Baytul Ma'mur? 
the frequented house of Allah. Let's follow the clues. Angels pray there every day, beings that are made of light. Light itself can bend around space that is warped enough by gravity, and to cause such a warp in space for light to bend like that, there needs to be a massive body of immense mass. What is the heaviest object in the universe that we know of? A black hole. There are different types of black holes. Some are large and others are massive. A black hole can also be very tiny in some cases, but let's stick to the larger black holes. The smaller black hole is called the stellar black hole, and these are formed by the violent death of a star. The largest type of black hole is a supermassive black hole, and these may be formed by the death of a massive star, and then, to get as big as they are, they would have sucked up a large volume of matter around them to become supermassive. We can find a supermassive black hole at the centre of every galaxy, including our own Milky Way, Sagittarius A star. That's the name given to the black hole in the centre of our galaxy. Do you know what the name is given to the biggest black hole in the universe? Or should I say multiverse? Some of you may be googling this and finding a black hole that is 66 billion times the mass of our sun, called Ton 618. What if I told you that? There is an even bigger black hole out there. And its name is... Al-Baytul Ma'mur. Angels circulate al-Baytul Ma'mur. Do you know what circulates a black hole? Light. It is what scientists call the photon sphere. Light is close enough to the black hole to circulate it, but doesn't fall into the gravity well of the black hole. The clue about al-Bayt al-Ma'mur was given when the Prophet was told by Jibreel during the night journey that 70,000 angels come to al-Bayt al-Ma'mur and do tawaf and leave never to return. Scientists say that light circles a black hole, leaves and goes away into infinity, never to return. Coincidence? We don't think so. Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur is indeed a supermassive black hole. When a massive star explodes violently in the sky, an event known as a supernova, this dying star can create a black hole. The star falls in on itself and compresses into an extremely small size after it explodes. This is what scientists call the singularity. This singularity is very, very small and is at the centre of a black hole. It's what created the hole. And at times there may be no singularity at all, but something else entirely. When we see a black hole, what we are really looking at is the shadow of the black hole. We can't really see it because light cannot escape it due to the immense gravitational pull of space-time around it. The black hole is warping the space around it so extremely that time itself stands still when we get too close. A black hole sucks everything inside it if matter gets too close to it. The point of no return is called the event horizon. Once anything passes the event horizon of a black hole, it is impossible to get out. Not even light can escape it, because the space is moving faster than the speed of light past the event horizon. 
once through the event horizon, you will be traveling into the future. Time will stop for you, but on the outside, time will be going and going into the future. Remember, space and time are combined. Whatever happens to space, something has to happen to time. There is another clue that Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur is a black hole. Some scholars say that Allah al-Mahfuz is stored inside Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur. Allah al-Mahfuz is the cosmic timeline. Everything that has ever taken place since the beginning of time until the end of time has been written inside this tablet. Everything in existence. Scientists say that there could be an information sphere around a black hole that stores all the data of the universe and through this two-dimensional data comes our three-dimensional universe. That it almost projects the information outward into the real world. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't this sound exactly like what Allah al-Mahfuz is? The original preserved tablet in tablet form is sitting on the lap of an angel, Israfil al-Islam, and it seems like a copy of it is stored in a black hole, like how codes can be copied from a computer program. All the information of the multiverse is stored inside a black hole, just like the mother of the book, the preserved tablet is stored inside Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur, right before the event horizon. The event horizon is unanimously known as the utmost boundary of the universe. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Where have we heard that description before? Oh yes, the Lot Tree, the utmost boundary of the seventh heaven. At the event horizon of Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur begins Sidrat al-Muntaha. Once you enter into the black hole, which is the frequented house of Allah, and through the event horizon you would enter into the gravity well of the black hole and reach the point of where the singularity would be. But you notice that there isn't a singularity at all. You would instead be travelling inside an Einstein-Rosen bridge, informally known as a wormhole or a portal, which is the trunk of the tree. Time would be slipping into the past now. Before we hit the point of singularity or the portal, it was going into the future. But now the outside world would be going into the past. Why is that? Because the tree is not a black hole. It is its twin, its opposite, a white hole. The tree is directly linked to the black hole, Al-Bayt al-Ma'mun, above which we have the Einstein-Rosen bridge connecting the black hole to the white hole, the tree, the X point on the cosmic map. Why a tree? A tree is known for its strength and sturdiness. It is a survivor, lived through floods and stands firm amidst desert climates. It has deep roots and its leaves have medicinal properties. Its fruit is nutritious and its honey is well sought out. But the most interesting thing about this tree is its shape. Its trunk is almost disproportionately smaller than its top. The trunk seems almost hidden, like how a wormhole would be hidden. The branches and leaves of the tree the top part is large and looks almost like half a sphere, like how a white hole or a black hole would look like from the side, with half of its sphere above the accretion disk. The Arabic word Sidrat comes from the Sidr tree, also known as a low tree, 
and the Arabic word muntaha means end, the extreme end, so it translates into the low tree of the utmost boundary. It is the tree of the utmost boundary, but it is not the boundary itself. The boundary is the border between al bayt al-Ma'mur, the black hole, and the low tree, the white hole. The boundary isn't actually located on the surface of the black hole. You'll need to go into the black hole and then you will soon reach the event horizon. And past the horizon is the trunk of the low tree, which is an Einstein-Rosen bridge linking the black hole to the white hole on the other side of space-time. The low tree is at the furthest most boundary, where beyond nothing can pass through the event horizon. Not even light can escape it if it goes through. Light would have to avoid getting too close to the event horizon. And who famously stopped at the low tree and could not go beyond it? Jibril. During the Prophet's night journey, Jibril said that he must stop at the low tree. You see, he was at the event horizon of Al Bayt al Ma'mur, and noticed that the Prophet visited Al Bayt al Ma'mur just before the low tree. Once at the tree, the Prophet said that he saw colours that were just indescribable. A black hole would also be bright, maybe orange or blue in colour, because of the hot matter rotating around it. But it would not have many colours, maybe just one main colour. So the Prophet is talking about something else here. What would the inside of a portal look like, you think? As all the matter from the seven universes gets sucked into a vital Ma'mur and through the event horizon, where does all this information go? Where do all our prayers go? Just disappears into this black hole? Energy never just disappears, it merely transforms. There is a theory that it all comes out the other side, through a white hole. Just as nothing can come out of a black hole once inside, nothing can go into a white hole once outside. Think of it like a gush of water going into the sink. The sink drain would be the black hole, where the water cannot come back up from it once inside. And on the other side you have a white hole where nothing can go back in once out because of the force from the gushing water. The most information we know about the low tree is what the Prophet mentioned about it. And it is also mentioned in the Quran, inside a chapter fittingly enough called the star. Allah says, By the star when it plunged. Your companion has not veered from the truth, nor is he misguided, nor is he giving voice to his fancies. It is but an inspiration, inspired, taught him by one immense in power, daunting. He took his stand, being on the upper horizon, then drew near and hung suspended, and was two bows length or nearer and he revealed to his servant what he revealed. The mind did not question what it saw. Do you dispute with him what he saw? And he saw him a second time, by the low tree of the extremity, near which is the garden of refuge, when there covered the low tree that which covered it. The eye neither veered, nor overreached, he saw some of his Lord's greatest wonders. Let's have a look at this quote in detail. To start off, right before this chapter, chapter 53, 
Al-Baytul Ma'mur is mentioned in chapter 52. Isn't that interesting? When Allah says, by the star when it plunged, it can be nothing else but the death of a star and then it plunges down into the fabric of space-time. Then a black hole is formed. So Allah is talking about a black hole. Allah goes on to describe the Prophet's night journey. He talks about how the Prophet saw Jibreel in his entirety twice during this night. Now this gets very interesting. Many of you may be thinking that the Lotri is a black hole. But let's think about what Allah said about the black hole and the Lotri if they are indeed the same. So Allah starts off with the black hole by the star when it plunged. And then Allah speaks about the Prophet seeing Jibreel who took his stand at the upper horizon. Now this was the first time the Prophet saw Jibreel that night. And remember that he saw Jibreel twice that night. So the Prophet saw Jibreel at the upper horizon, right? Some people say that this is the upper horizon as in the seventh heaven. But if we put into context and understand that Allah starts off the chapter with a black hole, then it seems clear that Allah is not talking about the seventh universe. Allah is signaling to the horizon of the black hole. Allah talks about the upper horizon. The upper horizon? So is there a lower horizon? Doesn't a black hole only have one horizon? The event horizon. There are two types of black holes, rotating and non-rotating. Some scientists now actually think that rotating black holes have two event horizons and non-rotating black holes have one event horizon. Allah goes on to say that the second time the Prophet saw Jibril was where? At the Lot Tree. Why does Allah Almighty do that? Why not say that the Prophet saw Jibreel at the Lot Tree twice if the Lot Tree is the black hole mentioned here? Because it isn't a black hole. The clue is right there in the Quran. The Prophet saw Jibreel twice and the two locations are listed right there and they're not the same. But they are connected like how a road is connected to a tunnel. So rotating black holes have two event horizons, an inner and outer horizon. Here, when Allah says the upper horizon, this is the outer event horizon where if anything passes it, it cannot get out again, not even light. The upper horizon is part of Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur, the black hole. And the second time the Prophet saw the angel was at the Lot Tree, which is obvious now that it's at the lower horizon, or the inner event horizon also known as the Korshi horizon, the utmost boundary where the trunk of the Lot Tree starts. Wait, hang on. If light can't escape if it goes through the upper event horizon, then how is Jibreel at the lower horizon? The reason light cannot escape once it passes the event horizon is because the space inside the event horizon is moving faster than the speed of light. So unless you can travel faster than the space around you is moving, you won't escape it. So why is Jibreel at the lower horizon? Remember. Jibreel is the only creation of Allah that can travel faster than the speed of light. But it seems that either Jibreel is not allowed by Allah to go beyond the low tree, or the space beyond the inner horizon is moving faster than Jibreel's own speed, so he cannot escape it. Either way, he must stop at the lower horizon. But the black hole looks like a funnel itself, which looks like a tree. 
There is some truth in this, but it only works when the space is two-dimensional. Space is three-dimensional, and with one dimension of time, so the fabric of space is actually four-dimensional, which is almost impossible to draw up. But animators try their best to visually explain gravity of black holes. So you see all these two-dimensional visual demonstrations of space-time, which does help us understand to a degree of how gravity works, but it's missing dimensions. And in reality, we cannot miss dimensions. So in actuality, there is no funnel shape to a black hole, because it is a sphere swimming inside the four dimensions of the fabric of space, not sitting on a two-dimensional space. The sphere itself is not physical, it's not like a planet, it's hollow, almost like an illusion. The outer shell of this illusional sphere is the event horizon, and the inner shell would be the lower event horizon of this rotating black hole. So in a weird way, the funnel would be from every direction no matter how you fall into the sphere, and at the center of the sphere would be the singularity where space is warped more than anywhere else in the multiverse, so there wouldn't be a funnel shape here. But at the bridge, at the bridge is where you will see a tunnel going upward, connecting to a white hole, which together would look like a funnel, so it would be shaped like a low tree. But then the shape would be the same both ways, up or down? Yes. The shape would be similar depending on the size of the two holes. But from where the Prophet and the angels are standing, there would only be one tree, the one that is the right way up. Yes, there is a right way up in space, maybe not for the actual planets and stars, but for wormholes and portals. We know this because Allah arranged the universes in layers, one on top of another, and paradise is above the seventh heaven. So there is an up. The portal needs to go up into paradise from the seventh heaven because that's where paradise is. Up. So if there is a black hole connected to a white hole by an Einstein-Rosen bridge, all the information that is getting sucked into the black hole from the seven universes, it's all coming up and out into paradise through a white hole. Why can't there be two black holes connected to each other? Why does there need to be a white hole? Well, you see, all the information that gets sucked into a black hole can't just disappear. It has to go somewhere. Many scientists think that a white hole is the answer to this puzzle. If there were two black holes connecting, where is all the data going? It can't come out. Maybe it can when the black hole dies, but we don't know for sure. Also, when we ponder over what Allah said about the black hole in the Quran, it is clear that he is only talking about one black hole. By the star when it plunged. For two black holes, wouldn't there need to be two stars that plunged? And not to mention, if the low tree was a black hole, why would Allah say that the Prophet met Jibreel a second time at the low tree? Wouldn't he just have said that the Prophet met Jibreel the second time in the upper horizon again? If the upper horizon is part of the low tree, if the low tree is a black hole, something doesn't quite add up here.
If the lot tree is going up from the seventh heaven, then how did the Prophet Muhammad see it from the sixth heaven as well as the seventh heaven? Scholars of Islam say that the reason is that the trunk of the tree is in the sixth heaven, and that's why the Prophet could see it from the sixth universe. This is very true, because the universes are superimposed and only 500 light years apart from each other which means that if we were able to see through dimensions, we would see the multiverse in its entirety, and all the celestial bodies would be seeping into neighboring universes. But if we cannot see through dimensions, and we, as in you and I, and we of course cannot, we will still be able to see and detect the three spatial dimensions of the universe. And in this universe alone, there may be up to 10 spatial dimensions according to string theory and a further one-dimensional time. Even though the universes are overlapping, we would be able to see the three-dimensional celestial bodies in our own universe as far as our telescopes permit, including all the zillions of galaxies in our universe alone, which is in the first heaven. Think of it like the universes are pieces of very thin tracing paper. We are on the lowest tracing paper. Just because the tracing paper that is on top of us overlaps us, it doesn't mean that we cannot see everything that is on our tracing paper. We would definitely be able to see what's there. But if we had the ability to see through dimensions, through other universes that are in different dimensions, well, we would see what the Prophet saw. All of it. The mass of al al Ma'mur in the 7th universe has warped the space around it and it seeps into the 6th universe below. The Lotri starts at the extreme boundary of al al Ma'mur, so they are practically in the same place. And seeing as al al Ma'mur cannot be detected easily because it is a black hole, if you could see through dimensions like the Prophet by Allah's grace, you would see the bright tunnel of the wormhole attached and the very bright white hole flaring outward onto the other side with its accretion disk. So here is where we have the tree. One way or another, the low tree is a portal and it needs to be going up into paradise. So it can't just branch out into the seventh heaven and stop there. That doesn't make sense. There needs to be a way out to paradise. And just like the portal would be covered by space, Allah mentions in the Quran, when they covered the low tree, that which covered it. The low tree is covered completely by the black hole. The black hole is invisible. Some people say that this describes the low tree as a black hole. And in a way it does because they are connected. But if Allah is talking about the low tree as a black hole here, why would Allah say that the low tree is covered? We can see the accretion disk. Would that not be part of the tree? Allah is saying that the whole of the tree is covered. So this can't be the tree. And not to mention, what happened to Al-Baytul Ma'mur? Where is the heavenly house of Allah? We can't ignore it. We need to include everything we know about the known multiverse in the map of the cosmos. We know angels circulate Al-Baytul Ma'mur just like light circulates a black hole. Al-Baytul Ma'mur and the Lotri are both going to sound like black holes because they are like twins. Not even that, they are like conjoined twins. Early scientists discovered that Einstein's equation for black holes have an opposite equation which was also correct and fitting for Einstein's general theory of relativity. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson explains this perfectly. He asked what is the square root of 9? The answer is 3. What is 3 times 3? 9. And what is minus 3 times minus 3? Also 9. 
So which equation is the better equation for the answer? Both. One isn't better than the other in any way. They both come to the answer 9. Black holes and white holes work the same way. The answers just match, and the equations are just opposites. We now have visual proof that black holes exist. Scientist Shepard Doleman and his team captured the very first real image of a black hole and released the image in April 2019. It shows the accretion disk rotating around the invisible black hole in the center. This black hole is from a galaxy called M87, some 50 million light years away. Simply extraordinary. Only Allah knows if we will ever capture an image of a white hole. Some scientists believe we already have. There was an explosion in space and scientists can't figure out what it was. They believe it was a white hole. Because the explosion lingered in space for a while and that is really uncommon. But we can't know for sure. Yet. The lotery is in a different dimension. A dimension that only the angels, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and the other prophets peace be upon him who have passed away can see. Ibrahim is there leaning against al-Bayt al-Ma'mun. He is in soul form. Doesn't that mean that he can lean on anything, even a black hole? Maybe one day our souls will see the low tree. It has been said that when a believing soul dies, it goes all the way up to where the low tree is and back down again. Wouldn't that be something? To witness the low tree. So what about the fruits and leaves that the Prophet describes? How else would he describe the matter falling out of the white hole, which looks like a tree? Fruit, the size of the biggest jars in the world, was probably the best way to describe this phenomenon at the time of the Prophet 1400 years ago. He also said that the leaves of the lote tree were enormous like the ears of an elephant. How else would he describe the accretion disk of a white hole at its immense size? Again, his description was perfect for his time. And note that the Prophet had never seen an elephant, he just knew that the ears were massive. There is another description of the Prophet that's interesting. The Prophet said that the low tree has four rivers flowing from it. Two are visible and two are invisible. And the two that are visible are rivers that flow on earth and the two that are invisible are rivers of paradise. How does this make any sense? Wait a minute. When the Prophet looked at the black hole and white hole together, what would he have seen? A black hole has a magnetic field and with it comes its north and south poles. There are times when the matter that is circulating a black hole, which is what we call the accretion disk, Matter from this disk falls into the black hole and the matter that doesn't fall in somehow reacts with the magnetic field of the black hole and this creates two energy jets of radiation and particles that fly out from the north and south poles of the black hole near to the speed of light. These jets are very bright and they look like streams coming out of a black hole. So here is where we have the two visible rivers that are coming out into the universes. The Prophet never mentioned all four rivers coming out of the trunk of the low tree. This is just an assumption. What he said exactly was that he saw four rivers. Two were visible and two were hidden. And the two hidden ones were going into the tree and are rivers of paradise. So they are coming out into paradise. And the two visible rivers are coming out of the low tree that we can see, so into the seventh universe. These are the rivers, the Nile and the Euphrates, that are visible. 
and this is their source. This is interesting. Have you ever thought where the water of the earth comes from? Water is material, material is matter, so water is matter. If all the matter from the universe gets sucked into black holes and some matter escapes the accretion disk through the form of jets, then is there not particles of water in these jets? And don't these particles move almost as fast as the speed of light and they become planets, stars, atoms, even water? As the matter flows out of these jets, can't they reach Earth? Only Allah knows exactly how the water reaches Earth. Scientists believe that the water on Earth sourced from meteors. But where did meteors come from? Meteors are matter, matter sourced from the Big Bang, and then it spread. Some of this matter goes into black holes and onto the other side of a new universe which we call paradise. And some matter doesn't fall into the black hole but gets pushed back out into space. Water of the Earth is 4.6 billion years old, as old as the Earth itself, and it gets recycled through the water cycle, over and over. But some of Earth's water evaporates into space. Where does that water go? It goes in the form of atoms. But where does it go? Could it go as far up as the seventh universe by the Lote Tree and back again? Like the biggest water cycle ever known to man. Okay, so we have our two visible rivers. What about the two invisible rivers of paradise then? How are they going into the tree? The matter from the seven heavens are going into the event horizon of the black hole by the trunk of the Lote Tree, and then it comes out from the white hole. Some of this matter will again be attracted to the immense gravity of the white hole and rotate around it forming an accretion disk, just like a black hole. And just as a black hole can eject jets of matter into the air, as so can a white hole. At the top of the low tree, which is a white hole, there would be two jets of matter and radiation flowing into paradise. These jets can't be seen from the seven universes, so here we have the two hidden rivers of paradise hidden because they're in another universe, Jannah. It begs a question, if nothing can come back from a white hole, how can the Prophet come back from it? Maybe he was in soul form? If Jibreel can take the Prophet Idris in a physical earthly body inside which there is a soul all the way to the fourth universe, why can't Jibreel by the command of Allah do the same and beyond with the best of all mankind, Muhammad It suffices to say, the Prophet made this journey with his earthly body, as mentioned in the previous episodes. There is a reason why it's always Jibreel who carries a Prophet into the heavens. Maybe the angel has a way of protecting them? How can the Prophet come back from a white hole? Now this is one of life's greatest mysteries. Just as he entered into a black hole and escaped it, he somehow exited through a white hole and entered back into it and not just once, but several times during the night journey. And as he entered paradise back and forth, time would have been going forward and backward, forward and backward, over and over and over again. No wonder when the Prophet got back home, it's like no time had passed at all. We do not know exactly how the Prophet made the journey, only Allah knows. But we know that Muhammad made this journey for sure and saw what he said he saw, the secrets of the cosmos. Like the companion of the Prophet 
Abu Bakr radiallahu anha once said about the night journey. If he said it, it's true.